love catching your own food and cooking it for your family and friends, you're in the right place. Welcome to the New Story Podcast. My name is Isaac, aka Shrek. This is the show where I interview spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the world. Today, it's Saka Jay. You're going to get that joke in just a moment. His name is James Saka. I've been literally following this guy since I started in spearfishing. Uh, a real, real character of the sport in Australia and uh, prolific. And he has somehow managed to carry, uh, despite 30 years of experience spearfishing, he still has the same level of enthusiasm for spearfishing that you do when you're 13 and doing it for the very first time. He's an excellent dude and he's very knowledgeable and uh, really interesting interview today, particularly his technique around hunting snapper. But it's not just that. There's a whole bunch of stuff sprinkled throughout this uh, interview. I hope you enjoy Sakajay, the Indian telemarketer. Um, but before we get there, 99 Spare Recipes, it's off the chain insane. Um, I'm looking at this probably two days before this interview goes live. So there's five days left to go on 99 Spare Recipes on Kickstarter. If you go to noobspero.com forward slash 99 recipes, this is probably your last chance to get on this Kickstarter and back it before this thing's a reality. Get your name in the book and be part of one of the people that is actually driving this book and creating this project, bringing it to life. Um, it's already reached its funding goal. So you are jumping on and joining 238 other people, and the book has raised nearly $20,000 on Kickstarter. I'm hoping with five days to go, we'll have crossed that barrier by now, but uh, there's still a bunch of cool reward tiers left. Uh, one of my favorites is the early birds reward. There's only a few spots left, uh, but basically in the early birds reward, you get a hardcover copy, you get four masterclass replays. That, that's four 45-minute to one-hour cooking classes with four of the legends that are in this book. There is a Spiro Chef stubby holder, a private YouTube video playlist with uh, seafood tutorials and recipes. There is the digital edition of 99 Spiro Recipes, plus you get your name in the book, all for the measly price of $60. There's only 17 left of this reward tier. I'd also encourage you to go down a bit and check out the limited edition knives pack. There's engraved victory knives with uh, sharpening steel, a fish scaler, bone tweezers, all in a custom canvas case. Check that out. It's available only at noobspero.com forward slash 99 recipes. There's only a few days left on this. Get in and get into it. Check it out. But hey, let's get into this interview with Saka Jay. I mean, James Saka. I really enjoyed this. As you can tell, I'm excited. Here we go. Hey Noob Spiro Tribe, my name's Yanni Barthelmus and I submitted several recipes to the 99 Spiro Recipes book. I really love the 99 Spiro's concept. I think as a spear fisherman, we've got an opportunity to be selective about what we take and a book like this showcases recipes that use more than just a trophy fish, you know, more than just snapper and kingfish and, and fish like that. You know, you'll see things like ludric or, or goatfish or leather jackets or, you know, sea urchins and things like that. I encourage every spear fisherman to head to noobspearo.com slash 99 recipes and get yourself a copy. It'll be an amazing resource for our entire community. I can't wait to get into today's episode brought to you with proud partner, 
adreno.com.au. The Noob Spirit Podcast has been partnering with adreno.com.au for more than 100 episodes, and these guys are awesome. They have uh, huge spearfishing mega stores all over the country. You can shop online or in store. Use the code NoobSpiro whenever you spend more than $200, and you will automatically save $20. That's right. Use the code NoobSpiro online or in store when you spend more than $200 and save $20. Bucks. I love these guys. I remember the first time I brought a spear gun at adreno.com.au down at the Wollongabba store. And Adreno have been a huge part of the excitement that I have about spearfishing. Check them out at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear to save. Manscaped is the best and below the waist grooming designed, in fact, for groin grooming. No more awkward moments with pubes hanging out the side of your budgie smuggler. Ugh. Ugh. Anyway, get 20% off and free shipping with the code NoobSpiro. One word, N-O-O-B-S-P-E-A-R-O at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code NoobSpiro. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you and so will the girls that have to look at you in a pair of budgie smugglers. Don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but oorah! When I say the words neptonics.com, I automatically want to say it. It is solid gear that works. It's the very best of spearing equipment and components from around the planet. Visit neptonics.com. It's solid gear that works. Visit neptonics.com. Use the code noob10 to save 10% off. Mate, um, yeah, like I say, long, long time um, observer of yours, if that's... Uh, I, th- I thought you were going to say say fan. Like observer <laughs> is just so shit. Like, you know, observer could mean that you just think I'm just hopeless. Nah, but nah. you've just looked at it and gone, what the hell? No, nah, I but remember looking at some please, of the fish. Feel free to use fan, admirer, devotee, <laughs> any, of, any of those sort of adjectives or right down my alley. I think I'm just going to kick the podcast off on that note. I, Go for it. Welcome, <laughs> Noob Sparrow community. I'm joined by Saka Jay, the uh, Indian t- worst Indian telemarketer what? ever. Yes, Sahib. <laughs> now it's James. Bears. How do you say your la- how do you say your last name? Is it Saka? Saka, Saka, like Saka shit. Oh. <laughs> anyway, James, like when I started spearfishing, there were a couple of cool magazines in Australia. There was uh, SDM Spearfishing Down Under magazine, mm-hmm. and there was IFSN, which is uh, International Freediving Spearfishing News. Both fantastic magazines. Um, SDM, John Featherstone. Uh, I think he's. Uh, hang on, hang on. Go back to the start. Started by Craig Barnett. Okay. My very good friend Craig Barnett started oh. that magazine oh, as wow. a Aussie spearfishing magazine to yeah. get the uh, you know the local content in and and uh, yeah that's how we that's how we first met and become very long lifelong friends. Ah. So yeah, so it was Craig Craig Barnett that started that. Okay. Well, it ended up in John Featherstone's hands and. It uh, did. Unfortunately, it's gone. It went the way of a lot of uh, publication, print publications these days. It's hard for these guys to make their business model work anymore, which is a real sure. shame because it's a tiny sport. And then, like, mm. comparatively speaking, you know, like, and then you know, and then print media has just gone the way of most print media. And IFSN mm. was also cool, and uh, like those are big old A4 sort of bloody A3 size uh, magazines. A3. Yeah, yeah. And I, I freaking love both of them. They Some of those yeah. adventures and lessons learned, that was the sort of stuff that um, made me yeah. froth when I was starting out. And uh, I remember reading your adventures. 
Mate, can I please give a huge shout-out to Barry Andrewatha? That yeah. guy, what a legend, the ISFN man himself. Yeah. And um, he imported a lot of spearfishing gear back in the day as well. I, I think he's he's pretty much retired now. But, mate, that guy, what a sensational legend. Yeah. When I started diving, this guy, um, I got in touch with him. I was just absolutely, like you are saying, frothing mad keen. Oh, I've got to get hold of absolutely everybody. think I can read about this sport. <laughs> yeah. And we didn't have much of the internet, so it was like reading, reading, reading. Anyway, I got in touch with Barry, and I was an absolute absolute shit diver mm. um you know i'd have a photo of a silver drummer you know mm. which he'd be happy to publish that that's the uh, the level that i was at oh, cool. and barry sent me every back issue that he had free of charge oh, wow. to this absolute new newbie diver that um had never done anything for him just completely off his own bat and we went on to have a very long relationship um I wrote articles for him for a very long time, yeah. and uh, and he sponsored me for a long time as well. And I'm still wearing wetsuits from Barry back in the day. Wow! So uh, thank you very much, Barry. You've been an absolute legend for so many people in the sport. Jesus, you you're um you've been uniquely positioned to observe a fair amount of Austra- of spearfishing Australia's sort of history, and uh, you've been a part of that landscape too. Um, yep. But with the advent of social media. The James Sacker, who was front and centre SDM IFSN, <laughs> has faded into the background. You've now you've now got a huge bushy hermit beard, and we have been missing your personality from the spearfishing world. Welcome back, my friend. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for having me. Look, it's an absolute honour to be on the Nudes Bureau podcast. Like, absolutely so influential, gets all around the world, and really something to really touch base with so many people from the youngsters right up to us geriatrics. So, yeah, good on you, Shrek. Keep it up. No, nah, mate, I'm loving it. And, um, yeah, I'm surprised it's taken me this long to bloody uh, to catch up with you. I mean, the more the show's grown, the more people have, like, frothed on it, which is fantastic. But um, I get inundated with requests for guests these days. And um, I started off with a measly spreadsheet with a bunch of names on it that I thought I wanted to talk to. And that spreadsheet is now a behemoth. Like, I've got, like, there's probably 300 names on there. And then I've got another 100 topics or so that I want to discuss with you know, former guests and current people and my patron listeners and things like that. And so your name's been on the list from the very start, but I just never got to you. So when you when you reached out to me by email a while back, I was like... Begging, begging I? on my head, abject begging. No, was. I, was I was like, like Shrek, I'll do anything, but I'll clean your house. <laughs> James, it was like, it was like perfect timing. I was like, I'm going to make this shit happen. Like, it's going to happen. And You're then you've... Um, and then you've gone and got yourself involved in 99 Spirit Recipes. I think you've absolutely availed yourself of a, a, more than a dozen absolutely banging recipes. So thank you very much for your My involvement. My pleasure. My pleasure. Mm. Um, did Was 99 Spirit Recipes, is that something that you thought, oh, shit, yeah, that's a good idea? Or what? what oh, yeah, it would have been, I'm a fat bastard. I love my food, mm. especially the seafood. I love cooking. I grow a lot of stuff in my garden. Um, we harvest so much stuff, you know, whether it's deer or whether it's um, vegetables, wild produce, heaps of seafood, obviously, and then, yeah, yeah we cook up a storm. So, yeah, yeah you know, it touched, touched, uh, touched a chord with me and, um, yeah, happy to help out. You know, I always wonder how much content you get for things. So I thought, I'll send you in a heap heap of content. Mate, you did, <laughs> and it's bloody good, and I, and I appreciate it. Um, all right, so, I mean, let's get started. Let's get started at the, uh, mm-hmm. the James Sacker mm-hmm. story. Where did it all begin, mate? Have you always all, have you always no, loved look, seafood, or is it, is that where the gateway drug? Oh, mate! Look, when I was a kid, I was just obsessed with fish, and I'm unusual. There's not no one else in my immediate family that's into fish. My great uncle was a mad fisherman, and my 
dad's uh, father was was um, into it a bit. But look, I used to walk around with a cork hand line. For those of you who can remember those old cork hand lines would have been a nylon line. Everywhere I went, I had that cork hand line in my pocket in case I could dip it in the water. So, um, yeah, I was just mad about fish. I can remember we, we went to a trip to Elizabeth Bay House in Sydney, which is one of these fancy houses that's open to the public, and there's a big koi carp pond. I had the old cork <laughs> hand line in the pocket, Benjamite <laughs> sandwich with the old bloody Franklin's bread, and anyway, whacked in a little bait on the cork hand line, got this massive koi carp, went screaming around the pool, and it's like, geez, you know, there's all these people walking around, pull this koi up on the bank it was my first catch and release session ever so yeah and no, no, i've always always been right into it and um yeah look my first snorkel ever i was 14 years old 1978 um jumped off the reef at heron island we were had a family holiday up there by myself with some borrowed fins and a mask never yeah. been snorkeling in the ocean before went by myself jumped off the edge of the reef at low tide did a few drifts down the reef, dropping these like uh, mother of pearl type shells, oh, yeah. watching big spanglies and red throat come in and they one and smash it and drop it. And the next one to come in and smash it. And I dive down, didn't equalize or anything. Didn't know anything about any of that. And just, uh, yeah, luckily didn't end up at some other Island. So yeah. Uh, yeah. With yeah, current yeah. and stuff. <laughs> Jeepers. Did, yeah. Do you think, um, were you a product of free range parenting? A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> like my parents are, um, yeah, my dad, he's passed away now, but uh, he was a surgeon and he was just never home. And uh, my mum had to work um, really hard all the time. So, yeah, I was I was shocking. You know, I was just completely off the chain. I was smoking at 10, you know, hanging out of the train going, shut up, mate, you know, like with a smoke in my hand, you know, at 10 years old, cheeky little bastard. And, uh, yeah, you know, the sort of things we used to do to get around the rules, like I wasn't allowed to stay out at night, so I'd get up at 1 o'clock in the morning to go fishing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this is the sort of stuff that I used to do. So, yeah, I was a free range. Look, everything was so much looser back in the day. You know, we, we, we could do um, whatever we want. Uh, Australia was a completely different culture, more like New Zealand culture has been up to the last few years, which which I just absolutely love. Not so, in terms not of, so precious, you know. In terms of hunting and fishing and just like mm. Uh, mm. less legislation, more sort of like oh. human freedom in terms of interaction oh, with the environment? 100%. You, yeah. I mean, you go, that's why one of the things I love about New Zealand is you go there and, man, it's just thing, yeah, it's go and kill stuff, go and eat stuff, you know, yeah. be free, you know, speak yeah. your mind. Um yeah, you don't have to fit into some uh, model. There's probably parts of Auckland where you've got to have your Chardonnay and, you know, <laughs> talk about human rights. But, awesome. you know, the rest of New Zealand is, you know, it's bloody down to earth, fantastic, yeah. awesome people that I can really relate to. You know what we call yeah. people from Auckland, eh? What's that? Jaffers. Jaffers. <laughs> yeah, just another fucking Aucklander. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, well, you know, when I go to New Zealand, I sharpen up my underarm bowling. I take several sheets of sandpaper out there for them with the autograph. <laughs> you know, like, you know what it's like. You just get over there as an Aussie. You know, you come from the yeah. West Island of New Zealand. Yeah. You get, you, know, you get over there and they're India straight away and it's yeah. bloody awesome, mate. I yeah. love the banter. You know, I love the banter cool. too, mate. Like, it's, like yeah. some people, the ones that get precious about stuff, like the Aussie NZ um, humour. Like, I'm just like, what's wrong yeah. with you? It's about as yeah, lighthearted yeah. as you can get. Oh, it's like, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. 100%. Yeah. Like, you sent me that many sheep rooting jokes in our, <laughs> in our, <laughs> in our email exchange. I was like, this is going to be a good chat. <laughs> I love the sheep shaggers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah no, it's good, mate. Um, so, I mean... I mean, I don't want to get dark and gloomy, but you've noticed yeah. a, a sort of a political change that's sort of affecting oh, the culture in both countries. 
Yeah, 100%. Like in New Zealand, it's, it's probably more confined to Auckland. As soon as you're out of Auckland, everyone seems to be real. Um, yeah, Australia, we're going uh, horrendously down that dark road of, yeah. you know, I think people are sitting indoors and they're doing stuff on their computer all day yeah. long and they don't live in the real world. And when someone says, why don't we just lock this up or ban this or stop people from doing this, yeah. Um, yeah, fantastic. I just fought a big battle to, for dog walking on our local beach. Oh, Got shit. rolled by the Greens councillors to stop old ladies from walking their dogs on a lead on a little section of beach that they always used to be able to do. So it's, you know, it's it, it's uh, it's a little bit sad. It is, it is, it is. I don't want to get dark and gloomy with you, though. I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not I, that person. <laughs> no, nah, I know you're not. But um, it is a reality. It is a reality it that is. we're living yeah. in. And it's like it's great to have a voice and to be able to speak into some of this madness because I think yeah. a lot of people are yeah. just afraid. And yeah. uh, a lot of the legislation and stuff that comes through happens because people are afraid. Like we were just talking about free-range parenting, you know, like the opposite yeah. is the helicopter. And oh, sure. if you, yeah, yeah. you know, if you want your kids to be safe, they'll never do anything. And I think it's, yeah, yeah. Just, it's from a politician's point of view with, with us in the real world, it's the same. It's like, yeah, yeah. With, with great freedom comes people dying and suffering and it's just, yeah. I don't know, it's bizarre. Yeah. Mate, I watch it on the beach here. It's classic. You know, I can tell the Sydney kids because they're head to foot in PPE. You yeah. know, they, they got their little hand, back of their hands and the back of their feet. Yeah. You know, that's the only bit of skin that's exposed to the sun and they're all white and they're wearing floppy hats, you know, yeah. and, and you walk your dog on the beach and they're like, oh, look, don't go near that. He's probably got some parasite that you might get infected with, you know, like that kind of that kind of stuff, you know. It's hilarious. I think what we, you know, we were surf lifesavers as kids. We sit in Speedos for 11 hours a day day in the sun, no sunscreen, no sunglasses, cooked yeah. the shit out of ourselves, you know, and if you hadn't peeled four or five times at the beginning of summer, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> oh, it was a bit the same, yeah, even in New Zealand. We had the hole over the ozone as well, like uh, <laughs> where I grew up, like we would burn in 18 minutes, you'd be burnt in, yeah, in yeah. summer. Jeepers, it didn't even matter if it was overcast or not. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But sparing, so the the, oh, ocean, right. yeah. the ocean grabbed exactly. grabbed hold of you. So you, you you're seeing yeah. these red throat. You, you've already yeah. had a love of fishing. Like, when was yeah. the sort of the when? What was the moment where you realised like I'm going to do this shit forever? All right. So what happened was I was a very disgruntled sales representative. I worked in a bank. I worked selling stuff. Even like you know, dried flowers and baskets and shit like that. I mean, just not me, right? Anyway, <laughs> my passion, obviously, with fish, I managed somehow to jag a job in fisheries, New South Wales, oh, in wow. 1995 as a fish pig. Ah, cool. So I, I got in as a fish pig. There were 17 of us. They just did a random scattergun approach. We'll take any idiot off the street. We'll train them and give them a crack. Oh, so, cool. so lucky. I would never get in. I would not have a bull's roar of getting into that department yeah. these days with, with, with what I had then. But anyway, yes, yeah, so I started off as a fish pig in Sydney and then I got transferred to Port Stephens um, in the uh, middle of 95, May 95. And all the guys I was working with were the keen divers. Mm. Especially Brett Brett Ryan, he was sort of uh, running us as uh, junior fish pigs, and uh, yeah, it was like, yeah, we go diving, you know, we go and get lobsters and we shoot big fish, and it's like, really, you know, yeah, okay, <laughs> let's go and do this. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I started doing. So so um, jumped in the water. I did um, I did about four years of uh, diving for lobsters and abalone before I got a spear gun. I, oh, I don't know why, but I didn't think, oh, I should just grab a spear gun and get into it. I really just started with. Um, with just the lobsters and and uh, and the abs, and then uh, I watched one day. I watched Brett Ryan swim into this bommy, and he shot like 
two mid 30 kilo Jew in a row out of this crack, oh, mate, just wow. behemoths. He stoned the first one. The second one come out on fire with a shaft halfway through it. And he gave me the gun. He goes, go in there and plug one. Like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> Sounds like a bloody plan. But anyway, luckily all the Jew had gone because I, I wouldn't even know, you know, how to aim properly or anything like that. Yeah. But I thought, shit, I'm going to get into this. So, so March, 2000, I thought I, I bought a sea hornet and I'd done a lot of diving in this place. So like I'd literally, I'd done hundreds of dives. So, mm. you know, I had a good idea of, of where to go and what the fish were. Mm. And I wasn't going to go and shoot crap. You know, I was going to shoot right. I'm going to get shoot good fish straight up. Mm. So 20 metres from where I got in, I swam out to this little thing. It's like it's like a little horseshoe bommy. The waves come over the top. I dived in with my sea hornet, prang ahead, single rubber, banged it straight in the shoulder of this 15 kilo Jew. It goes, <laughs> whoop, rip, rip, ripped off. It's like, oh, oh shit. No. <laughs> Ah. Anyway, first day with a sea hornet. I shot a Jew and lost it. <laughs> Jeepers, that's a bloody good uh, – you can't complain about that. I mean, you, you would have been yeah. – that feeling of losing a fish when you wound one, it doesn't leave you though, does it? No, of course not. No, 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 no. That, and it wasn't the last one. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, six months later, so I, I tuned up the gear a bit. I put mm. – um, I put double rubbers on the sea hornet. I went on the old Mako head. I don't know if you remember them, like a screw-on head. It's a double flopper head. Uh, I do remember, yep. Radio. Yep. And I'd shot that many rocks by that time, like learning to aim. This thing like was like a pencil. And I don't mean the sharp end of the pencil you write with. I mean the other end of the pencil, right? So anyway. <laughs> you were a racing up. fish. Yeah, so back to the exactly the same holes, like 20 metres away from where you jump in the rocks. I swim in, perfect. They like a little bit of white water over the top. I dive down, I pull the full three metre dive to the bottom, looked around, couldn't see anything, went back up to the surface, and this dew comes Underneath me, instead of bolting, it just tried to slide out of the hole. And I looked back from the surface, put the gun back behind me, and I shot it off the surface, bonker into the shoulder, like oh, perfect beautiful. placement. And the shark goes, bonk, and comes straight out of this fish. And I'm going, what the fuck? Right like yeah. this. And this fish swims two metres, rolls upside down and floats up to the surface oh, beautiful. as a maggot. I had smashed the spine on this thing and it was 29.2 kilos. Holy so moly. It took me a long time to beat that. <laughs> That's a massive, Dewey. I've never – I've yeah, shot yeah. one I think was over 20 kilo. I yeah. was off the back end of a wreck in about 80 metres of water. Yep. And um, I had a school of them creep in on me, did everything right on this dive – Pulled the trigger, and then the flopper just didn't engage. Oh! I was, as I slowly put the tension on, because the school didn't even spook. They sort of swam oh. hard for five metres, then slowed down again, and then the shaft just pulled straight back through and it swam. Oh. The next, my next biggest one's like under ten kilo. I've never yeah. shot one and landed one over that. So gutted, gutted. They are a beautiful fish, man. They are a special fish, eh? Oh, they are. They are. And, and you know, you would, you saw a lot of those magazine articles, mate. I target the, those fish for a long, 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 long time. And I still do. I'm, I'm so suited. Now, we are just about to hit juice season. Now, mm. probably when this podcast comes out, it will be hardcore in juice season. And we will be going hammer and tongs mm. chasing those big fish around. So, this, yeah. again, not to gloom and doom, the state of that fishery. Uh, how is it in your estimation? Oh, look, you know, it, it's um, it's a real hit and miss fishery in terms of recruitment, and um, uh, people get really down in the dumps about it and say, "Oh, like it's all just gone to shit, and there's mm. no Jew and all the rest of it." Um, you know, we get a few good wet years in a row, um, some big recruitment; those fish will come storming back. Um, 
yeah, you know, at the moment they're probably they're probably down a bit. We've had a few dry years in a row, and they do mm. not, you know, that is not helpful for the for the Jew. Mm. Um, well, look, well, how does I, it, how does their breeding work? Do you- oh, look, they they um they get up in the rivers and and um or they spawn outside in the ocean. I've I've seen big spawning aggregations like three hundred fish doing the whirlpool and yeah. just amazing to see, like nearly all the way to the yeah. surface. And then um, the juveniles spend a lot of time in the estuaries. So your big river estuaries, um, you know, the Hunter, Clarence, Maclay, mm. um, uh, Hawkesbury, uh, Richmond, you know, these big river estuaries mm. are r- really important for the Jew. Um, they have a few issues, you know, there are trawl fisheries and stuff like that that can impact the juveniles. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a fair few steps to try to help that. You know, there's one really passionate fisheries guy that does goes his ring out to get things closed you know yeah. around around the right places to stop these these fish from from getting targeted but look i, I i've seen it go up and down over the mm. years mm. and when you have a few good wet years in a row it just seems to really help the recruitment and you yep. see a massive amount of dew come through the fishery so um so 10 years ago uh, uh living up the far north coast i would see a th- literally see a thousand yeah, juvenile Jew in a in a school. So I've seen them school up here off southeast Queensland, actually Sunshine Coast off a of headland, and I've seen them in schools over a hundred. None of the mm-hmm. fish would have been over ten kilo, but um, mm-hmm. amazing yeah. to see. And yeah, they are a fishery you want to see in abundance. I'm, oh, yeah. I, one thing I think all of us are guilty of, even fishermen, is thinking that the only pressure that fisheries face. Is, mm. is fishing pressure, whether it's commercial or recreational. Yeah. But it's yeah. an interesting point that you make in the fact that, yeah, pollution and runoff play a big part and stuff, but natural weather cycles play a huge part. Oh, ma- massive, massive. Look, you know, like the recruitment of, of all different things, like lobsters, like lobsters is the absolute classic. Um, you know, fisheries have done a fantastic job rebuilding that stock from a very low point in the mid-90s, um, protecting the brood stock. Um, we have a massive reservoir of brood stock sitting out there. Everything that can breed pretty much is protected. Mm. So you imagine that every single fish in the population that could breed. So every single eastern rock lobster that can breed in New South Wales pretty much is protected. Mm. And we still have bad years of recruitment. And that's not because there's no brood stock or there's no, you know, opportunity for them to breed. It's just a variability of currents, you know, where things get dropped out, larval, you know, drop out and all those sorts of things. Mm. And then you have massive years of recruitment as well. Yeah. You know, so overall that fishery is just fantastic. It's going from strength to strength. So this is an eastern, this eastern, eastern rock, eastern rock, rock lobster. lobster. Oh, your pack horse lobster yeah. in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. same yeah. species. Yeah. Okay, cool. And different lobster species are interesting too because they all predate upon different food sources. Like, um, sure. like in New Zealand, like the southern rock lobster, or um, they love. They've got the big ho- uh, hooks out the front. They love to yeah. eat abalone yeah. and and sea yeah, urchin. Yeah. Whereas the easterns are a bit different, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah, they're nowhere near as strong. Like you put a three kilo eastern next to a three kilo southern, that southern will flog the ass off him. Mm. You know, they've got those big bottle openers that you're talking about yeah, that yeah. they flip abs with. Yeah. I mean, they're dangerous craze to, to take yeah. that off. You don't put them down your wetsuit. Yeah, you don't put them down your wetsuit. Oh, shit, no, you know. So like these big... Um, you know, I've got a, quite a few uh, lobster videos on my YouTube channel. So, like, people want to see some really big easterns, they can watch it. But, uh, man, they are so much easier to pull out of holes than those big southerns. The big southerns, you know, they jack up, they jack their legs up, they hold their body up against the top of a crack. And, man, they're just like rocks. They are yeah. immovable to get yeah. out of the, the thing. You know, a lot of respect for those southerns. Yeah. I, I remember being taught to, you know, you grab the horns and then yep. it's just that uh, forwards and backwards tug of war oh, yeah. to yeah. make sure because shake, shake the shit out of them. Yeah, 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 and then just dislodge their legs because they just wedge yeah. in there and you can't move the bloody things. Oh yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly no, when they get any sort of size about them, yeah. Yeah, no, the little ones, you know, up to like one and a half kilos, they're both pretty similar to the pull yeah. out. But once you get them over that, that two, two to three plus kilo of the southerns, mate, they're a beast, mm. you know, absolute beast. Um, eating characteristics. You love your Easterns or? Easterns are the best. Yeah. yeah? I, reckon, I reckon they're the best. Like Southerns are very close mm. and then everything is miles behind that. <laughs> Good. Yeah. What about Westerns? The ones they eaten, oh, sorry. Never, I only sent them in the supermarket. Look, they're a tropical. They're the same yeah. in the tropical spirit. They're Panelurus yeah. like, like a genus. And my thinking, and I'm sorry, to apologies to all you Western Australians, but, um, you know, I don't think any of those tropical species are as good as the as the Easterns and the Southerns. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Southerns are just my favourite by far and away. I haven't eaten many Easterns though, so I can't really comment on it. I don't think I've yeah. ever even caught an Eastern. So. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Well, you wouldn't in Queensland. Yeah, they don't occur yeah. up there. Yeah. So. I need to you come know, down no, there. They're really good. Really good. Yeah. Mm. Very very similar. You know, I, I think you'd be hard pressed if you did a blind taste test. I think you'd be pretty hard pressed to tell the difference between them. Yeah. Righto. Yeah, I remember seeing like massive carapace and um, there used to be a Capity or Wellington dive shop and they used to have a couple of mounted ones on the wall. And mm-hmm. I remember them being huge, uh, possibly bigger than they actually were, which is, you know, like. No, typical. no, no. The, the Eastern Rock Lobster is the biggest spiny lobster in the world and can grow to 15 kilos. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah I so sworn. they really are the biggest, the absolute giant of the lobster world. How big have you seen them off uh, around New South Wales? Uh, we pulled them to about seven kilos. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, and I've seen my mate in uh, Coromandel. He's got one on the wall that's 10 kilos. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's uh, so 22 pounds. 22, 22 pounds. 22 pounds. Yeah, that's, yeah, um, yeah. It's bigger than a dive tank, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's massive. Just absolutely. Mal, I look at that thing. I just feel oh, when I go to his house because he's got it mounted on the wall on a yeah. board. It's just fantastic. Have you got any fish mounts or cray mounts or anything? Oh, shit, yeah. I've got, a, I've got my big snappers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got. Um, I pulled a 10.7 kilo one last year and I got that taxidermy. Yeah. I got a 10.4 kilo one and a 9 kilo one molds up on the up on the wall. Yeah, the oh, snapper's yeah. very special. So you got the 10.7 fully taxidermied. Oh yeah, fully taxidermied. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah. other ones are your, uh, your molds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Molds. Yeah, and are you yeah. using Glenn Stewart? Yeah. Glenn Stewart from Caves Beach. There's two Glenn Stewarts, unbelievably, in the fish molding world. What? So there, yeah, there is, and and Glenn Stewart from Caves Beach. He does an absolutely um, sensational job. I think he's very hard to get into. I'm not even sure if he's even still doing it because he was. He was, he's getting on a bit when I got mine done. And then there's the other Glenn Stewart that's up your way. Okay. He I does th- a fantastic – I've seen his, his stuff as well. He does a fantastic mould too. Yeah, paint job's just unbelievable. Um, yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah. No, those special fish, like um, they're the only ones that I've got done. The snapper is my iconic fish. You know, to me it's the hardest species to chase in, mm. in New South Wales. Mm. And um, I have put – Hundreds and hundreds of dives in to get the uh, the, the ten kilo plus ones. And uh, is that a is it was that an Eastern Australian ten point seven or is that a New Zealand? Yeah, yeah, no, here where I live. That's no, a New Zealand one. Yeah, look, New Zealand one. There is a hell of a lot more ten kilo snapper, ten kilo yeah. plus snapper over there. Heaps more, and they are not as hard to get as they are in Australia. So they, they are just way less spooky over there. A ten point seven Australian snapper is like uh, you, you wouldn't. You'd be one of a dozen. A dozen people probably to shoot one. Yeah, well, I've got two over ten, so yeah, yeah, ten point four and a ten point seven. So you know, but look, I, I spent a lot of time, yeah, a lot of heartache. I've got them on video, pulling out of ones in that ten kilo range. Yeah, the first one I shot, man. You know what? You you, you like to talk about fish that you lost, the fish that you, yeah. that haunts you to this day. Yeah, yeah. The sea hornet, right? The sea hornet back in my where I started diving. 
we got onto the snapper. This is a hilarious story. How I got onto the snapper, I was a fish pig, right? So without checking people, but I checked this guy called Patch. He's called Patch because he's got an eye patch over his thing. He's got one eye. He goes, man, I opened the door and this guy just shot me in the face for no reason. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like that really happens. Like you got shot in the face, but not for no reason because these guys are all like the local druggies and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. All, yeah. We used to chase all their mates around, abalone poaching and all this sort of stuff. But anyway, I digress. So anyway, oh, wow, there's a big snapper here. And it's like six, seven metres of water, which is where you can get your really big, big snapper if, if you know what you're doing. So, all right, so we haunted this place. And my mate Dodgy and I, like, we just worked this place out. We knew this, like, the back of our hand, and we would dive it religiously. We'd be sitting there with a sea hornet, you know, your 35-second breath hold on the bottom here, this wall of snapper, and out the bet, there's this eight, nine-kilo ones just sitting out the back of the three, four, five-kilo ones. But anyway, there's one particular gutter. You swim across this sand gutter and there's this ledge and it fills up with these big reds at, at times, at the right time when everything's right. I snuck up on this ledge with the sea hornet. Uh, by this stage, I, I was equipped. I had a Euro European shaft, you know, mm -hmm. with a single flopper, double rubbers, like I was pumped up to the max, double wrap a line on this thing. I pumped up and they sit there and there's like five reds sitting in this gutter all between nine and 11 kilos, just wow. sitting there sideways onto me. And I put the gun up with heaps of time and I just go, ba-bonka, straight in this fish's head, right? straight in his head which is the worst place to shoot a big snapper because it's just rock it's just rock it goes <laughs> and just gouges this big white scratch up the side of his head and they all just mosey on off out of the gutter I was like no 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 anyway that was the first time I shot and lost a 10 kilo one still haunts me salt and water make for a deadly combination when it comes to dive gear that's why you need to visit oldmanblue.com.au. They use the finest in materials and they make stuff to last. They use 316 marine grade stainless steel in their loops and they source their materials and make their own stuff right there in Western Australia. Catch bags, cray loops and more. Visit oldmanblue.com.au. Check it out. Finding a buddy doesn't need to be such a struggle anymore. Use the Fishing Trips app to find a dive buddy today. Download the Fishing Trips app on Google Play or the iOS app store. Download it today, Fishing Trips app, boom. Equalizing problems can be something that derail you. Not today, my friend. Go to freedivingfamily.com. Check out the, either the Frenzel and Advanced Frenzel video or the Mouthful and Deep Frenzel Equalization course at freedivingfamily.com. You can use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. These courses are put together by Adam Stern and a select team of, of, of legends and to help you overcome different issues and help you perform better. And some of them are extremely relevant for freedive spearing. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. People that people that don't go fishing don't even realize how rare some of these situations are that you can get mm. yourself into. Like mm. we mm. talk about David Attenborough moments, and I know you 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 can relate to this. It's like mm. these weird culminations happen that you just hope to be privy to in your lifetime yep. and making the yep. most of it, having the yep. right equipment and being prepared is just a mm. huge thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't think the sea hornet was really the right equipment. <laughs> <laughs> but I got some big fish with it. Yeah, yeah. I, just did, I ended up going out with this. This is a funny story as well. Like I went out with this 
good diver on a charter. I won't say mm. his name, but I went out with him and, and um, he'd seen all these photos and these big fish and I'm wearing the shit gear, you know, like the scuba diving wetsuit <laughs> and the old bloody, you know, weight belt, not the rubber weight belt and the sea hornet and stuff like that. And he goes, wow, this guy, mate, you know, if you can take fish like this. He saw me diving and he goes, like, you were just a shit diver. You really are shit. You know, you only get these good fish because you know good spots. So I was like, yeah, yeah, because I found them. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's what a lot of my friends say to me. Oh, you only get good fish because you get because you know good spots. You know, like just as a G up from that. So Oh, there, there's, a, there's an amount of truth to like, like yeah. finding spots is like sometimes I reckon it's, it's more than 70% of the game. Mm, 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 mm. Well, look, a lot of people come on your show and, and I think probably, if I, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think 70% of them talk about diving. Mm. They talk about free diving. They talk mm. about doing courses and breath holding and, and stuff like that. And, look, I'm completely 100% the opposite to that. To me, spearfishing is hunting. It's 100% hunting. And I'd really like, especially to your younger divers that are getting into the sport, please don't focus on the diving. Yeah, diving is like driving your car to the supermarket. The supermarket is where the action happens, where you're picking up the goods. And, and to me, it's like get in the, whatever depth you're comfortable in, whether that's seven or eight metres, 10 metres, 12 metres, which is, you know, 12 metres is big if you're starting out. But mm. seven to 10 metres, there's amazing the fish that you can take in seven to 10 metres. But what you really need to do is just be focused on all the things that put, the, put it together, like really learn your fish, learn the fish behaviour, learn the weather, the times of the day, the seasons, all this sort of stuff. This is what spearfishing is about. It's about hunting. And, and you get the absolute best, you know, your Tim McDonald's, your Ray Powell's, your Tony Hughes. They've got both. They've got that fantastic diving ability. But first and foremost, those guys are hunters. Hunters, yeah, 100%. Hunters, mate. So that's what I really encourage these um, young people to do. Like there's, you know, if you, instead of trying to like uh, look, say, oh, go to the spot that everybody goes to, like get on the Google Earth, look at some more remote places, um, learn your seasons, your, your, your all that stuff, put their hard yards in, do a hell of a lot of swimming. Don't just go from place to place in a boat. Get in off the rocks. Go swim, 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 swim. Just look around and really look. Don't be looking at that dive watch. <laughs> That's yeah, not going to yeah. give you any fish. <laughs> look around you and see what's going on around you. And I guess... Um, I think when Dodgy and, and I, we, we started diving together, uh, mm. um, that's what we did. We were both fully switched on in the um, in the fish sense. Mm. Like get into the fish's mind. What are they doing? Be soft on the fish, you know, not, not making eye contact. Or conversely, you know, with Spanish mackerel being leery and making eye contact and, mm. you know, being in their face. You know, that's the sort of fish that loves that. Other fish, ooh, you know, like snapper, you do that, you're never going to see one. So, so um, learning, yeah. learning hunting though, like, I mean, when you're yeah. on land, uh, I mean, we're, it's kind of a natural place for us. And the water, yeah. arguably, like, I mean, we do get comfortable there, but mm. the, the ocean moves different. And yeah, 100%. Ha, yeah, yeah. Is it, how, do you, how do you coach young guys to develop a hunting sense? Okay, so, so um, uh, first and foremost, um, be observant. You know, have a look around you at what's going on. Um, Try to work out what the fish are doing when you when you approach them. Even even what I would call crap fish that I want to shoot, like brim and blackfish and stuff like that. You see blackfish, you know, when they know that you're after them, when they swim past you, they'll turn, 
90 degrees to you, perore or whatever you call them in New Zealand, they'll turn that 90 degrees to you and swim past you to give you a low profile for the shot. That fish's nose that you're like looking at it with some interest. Um, so yeah, I, I think like really opening your eyes, um, think about the time of the day, you know, when fish are most going to be active, you yeah. know, like early in the morning, late in the afternoon. Another thing I like is, is, is try to have a minimal amount of human traffic on the water. So I like to swim out howling nor'easters, just horrible conditions. That's when you want to get out in the water. That big southerly's ripping through, get out there, and you won't believe how everything comes to, come, comes to life. Um, yeah, I, I think um, keeping a journal, like you talk about this and you guys have put out a journal, um, That's we did it by photos. Mm. So we took photos of yeah. every decent fish that we ever caught. Yeah, and um, and then that we would have a story around those fish, and we would talk about, you know, what what happened with it. And, and um, so for like Jew, like I've got my Jew spots, I can go, to, I can take you there at midday. There's nothing. I'll take yep. you there at two o'clock in the afternoon. You won't see a thing. Mm. We go out there at six o'clock, just before dark, and man, there's just this massive school of them going around seven or eight meters of water. Wow. Um, you, you know, and it's the right time of the year. I take you there in June, you won't see anything. And I take you there in late November, early December. It's like holy dooly, you know, this place is on fire. But you know, a lot of places that are crap at one time of the day will be, you know, really good at another time of the day. So. These days, look, there's a truckload of stuff on YouTube. Mm. Watch the good divers. You know, people like Daniel Mann, Tim McDonald, you know, people like that that really know their stuff, that really know how to hunt your sort of area. Mm. Have a look at them and see what they're doing, you know, where they're going, the types of places. You don't have to be like 50 metres like Tim, but you'll still see him go out and, and, and take fish in. Yeah, off the shore. In, uh, in shallow water, yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, and he um, swims. He's a beast. Like uh, he, yeah, he's got a work yeah. ethic that I think um, yeah. a lot of people don't talk about much. And I, I've oh, heard, yeah. I've heard about what he does in a day sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, he, uh, he is, he, he is a machine. Like he, he's a, a young diver. You want to emulate someone in terms of that. But you hear him talk about the hunting. I listened to that that podcast that you did with him. That was fantastic. Like that's that's the, that's someone that, you know. Like you're getting the, straight from the top when you when you're listening mm, to him. Yeah. You know, um, when I talk to a guy like that, I don't. He his knowledge is so um, top top of the food chain. I don't even know how to ask him the right questions to get the information out. Yeah, of him. sure. You sure, know, like, sure. it's like yeah. he just operates on another level. So absolutely, but but he's like um, he's worked out the fish behaviour. So mm. let let's say you want to go and chase um, jewfish. So learn your season. So up here in the mid north coast, late November, December, early January. You want to be down in Port Stephens, late February, March. You know, you look at those spawning aggregations. You want to go up the far north coast, July, beginning of August. That's when those fish are going to be aggregated together. Time of the day, you know, late in the day is the best. Or if you're going in the middle of the day, you've got to find places where the fish are going to hole up. Big fish will hole up in, in gutters and stuff. So you've got to be thinking, what am I looking for? And how am I going to find them? How am I going to approach them? Jew are very, very spooky with uh, noise, very sensitive lateral lines. Their vision is reasonably good, but I said no, any no, any noisy ear clearing, clicking the fins, anything that's moving around on you, anything like that, you're going to spook, spook fish. So um, that's another thing. mackerel is the opposite, you know, like be noisy, be visible, wear a blue, bright blue wetsuit, Larry fins, you know, you know um, sit in midwater. Yeah, you know, be a presence. They will come up to you and see what you're doing. Um, yeah, it's something to be said. All this time in the water, it's going to give you some wisdom, some payoff. It's a lot of time, mm. though, isn't it? Oh, mate! I literally to get those snapper, it's hundreds, 
hundreds of dives, hundreds yeah. of dives yeah. to get those trophy snapper, you know, and, and lots of near misses and lots of seeing the fish. You know this noise? You know what that noise is? No. That's a big snapper leaving. That's what it sounds like. That's the noise their tail makes when they take off. And you don't even see that fish. You hear that. It's like, no, 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 where was he? You know? So, like, my mate, he's, he, he wants, he's seen this. I got to pull this big snapper the other day, like that photo I sent you. And he's just, like, absolutely on fire. He's a way better diver than me, too. Like, he's, he, he's just keen as mustard to get one of these big reds. And I'm telling him, mate, this is what you got to do. you got to follow this process. If you want to get one of these big reds, you got to do it. And it goes against all your instincts. So he's down on the bottom and this big donkey snapper swims past him, having a look at him, and he tries to put his gun out and it goes, <laughs> God, he's come back to the surface and he's gutted. Okay, mate, what did I tell you? You've got to not look at that fish. You've got to pretend it's not there. Stay on the bottom. Let him go out of sight. Go back to the surface. And you know those two lobster heads that you've got in your bag that we've taken out to get these reds in? Start pulling the legs off and chuck these legs. This is from the lot like lobster the day before or a few days before. We keep mm. the heads in the freezer. Mm. You chuck the legs off the surface, about 10, 15 foot up in front of you, whichever way up current is, and, and usually the way the snapper was going, yep. and you stay on the surface. <laughs> Do not leave the surface. Yeah. And you just let those legs sink and you let your gun just slowly, you know, fold down with the legs. And uh, a lot of the time that red will just come back and he will grab one of those big lobster legs and because he can't get the whole thing down, in one hit, but especially those tropical lobsters that got really long legs, mm. they'll sit there for a second and you can get them like out of their mind on those legs and they'll come up in midwater and then you get, usually it's a reasonably difficult shot, but when they get to the leg, they'll stop for that quarter of a second and that's go gunka. <laughs> that's well, when the shark goes through them. That's frigging genius. I yeah, love yeah. it. I've just done a video. I've just done a video on it. I think four fish. Okay. I lost one big one, about nine kilos, because I had a very difficult shot and he wasn't playing the game and I ripped out of him. But, but yeah, I got this, like, 20-pounder on video up in midwater and, that, and like, just have him going around for a couple of minutes. You won't believe that no one put a shot into it. There's two of us pointing the gun at this thing. <laughs> Is it, have you got a YouTube channel? Yeah, yeah, catch it, grow it, cook it. Oh, that's right. You told me about it and I haven't yeah, even yeah. looked it up yeah. yet. I that's, haven't seen you subscribe. I've been very disappointed about that. Catch it, cook it, grow it. Oh, mate, you know, I'll make yeah, – do you want me yeah, to make some it, excuses it, up? Cook it, yeah. I only, it, I only follow it. Kiwi channels, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a different genre. I'm, I'm into the spearfishing. Okay, there he is. I'm going to let this one go. Like when this podcast comes out, I'm going to let this one go. So – You'll see the snap of the technique, like right through how you do it. And look, it's a fantastic way of um, of getting big reds. So, mate, you got some uh, good you got some good videos here. I'm looking at it. Lobster boys, the nine bag limit. <laughs> there's a honey hole. There's bloody. Don't look at the, the honey hole is actually still about lobster diving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder that one's got more views. People are intrigued yeah. by the title. Clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's another. So. How did you come across this technique? Did you just... Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll take it back a step. So we mm. used to, um, when we go lobster, we we, do, we lobster dive all through the winter. That's our main thing that we chase. So once the water goes cold, sort of mid-June um, till about uh, mid-November, like our lobsters are the main things that we chase because the fish are pretty quiet and um, it's lovely. You know, we get a nice water, a nice clearer water. So, um, yeah, so... 
when you go lobster diving, every now and then a snapper will come screaming in to see what you're doing when you're rattling lobsters out of a hole. They get really curious. And what they do is they follow the pro fisherman around. And when the pro fisherman pulls his lobster trap and he's releasing the kittens, you know, the undersized lobsters mm. out of the trap or oversized lobsters that we get up here as well. Yeah. And he's chucking the bait, his old bait out. That snapper are following them around and they'll smash that old bait and they'll smash the little, try to eat the kittens and stuff like that. So what we do is we wait until the pro's gone through and done his gear because they really don't like to see you there before they've done their gear <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. So we wait till he's gone through and done his gear. We give him about half an hour or an hour and they, they do their gear pretty early in the morning. So we go through behind them and yeah, um, we, we just keep our eyes open. We do a lot of lobster diving. We'd have a couple of lobster heads from previous dives that we've frozen that mm. we take out with us and um, to use for burley if we see reds. So what you'll often see is um, a small red, like a one to two kilo, not a little baby one, you know, like a hand-sized one, mm. like, a, like a one to two kilo fish. And he's often the one that's brave enough to come in and have a look at you. Mm. And the bigger ones are much warier usually and they'll hang out, you know, they'll not, you know, not come in too close. So when you see one of those little guys like that, two or three legs, chuck it up current. Um, this happened to me like uh, three weeks ago, did that. Let's see this little two kilo one. I had, um, I didn't have any lobster heads with me, but I, when I just grabbed my second legal cray and one of his front legs come off and I grabbed it in the water, didn't let it sink. And this little two kilo red comes in. It's like, oh, yes, it's worth a crack. Broke the leg in half, chucked the two pieces up, and this, like, five-and-a-half-kilo red comes screaming in and grabs one of the pieces like, you beauty! <laughs> so I leaned down off the surface and plugged him as he went for the second one. Yeah. All on video, thank God, because I was holding the camera in one hand and the gun on the other hand, which is usually you miss all the action when you yeah. do that. So, yeah, so we worked it out. Look, the reds come in, and the tropical lobsters – uh, I don't if you caught them up in Queensland, the Ornatus, you know, the mm. painted ones, when yep. you move their horns, they go, rup, 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 you know, the, that, that noise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can swim around in the water with the lobster head in your keeper bag and you make that noise like, rup, rup, rup. okay. Man, that, that is deadly. It's also super deadly on coral trout. Like okay. if you're in the, in the tropics, mate, get one of those tropical lobsters, rup, rup, rup. every coral trout in the, in the reef will come out and have a look and see what's going on. Jeepers, so. you got some ninja tricks going on. <laughs> well, I have to compensate for my lack of diving ability with that. Uh... <laughs> I don't know if it's compensating. It's just actually not even needing to do all the, the ridiculous bottom time and bullshit that sometimes no, we no, get no, caught no, up no. in. No, I'm a very average, very, very average diver. Look, I should be inspirational for, for people starting out. You don't need to do a dive over a minute. You don't need to dive over 15 metres. You know, you can, you can get so many good quality fish by using your brain. Um, putting the time in lots of yards. I mean, do I do heaps of dives, come back to nothing, you know, which is fine because I've always yeah. got heaps of fish to eat. Yeah. But but you know, I just just love the love the hunt, you know. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, Magic. I love it. That's frigging awesome, man. Uh, I'm going to remember that one. I'm going to try yeah. that too. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, watch the video and you'll get the exact way of doing it, and you'll see how those fish go, man. Crazy. All right. So we've got catch it, grow it, cook it. I'm going to link it up in today's show notes. So if people want to. Have a look at anything we're chatting about today. It'll be at noobspirit.com forward slash Sackerj. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indian yeah. telemarker. Tele- hey. So S-A-K-K-E-R-J. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sacker with a J for yeah. my first name. Sacker is my name. James yeah. is the is the front. So but yeah, lo- that's how it comes. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. through your YouTube channel here and I'm thinking it's bloody good. You've done some good work here and you've actually done yeah. quite a lot of videos too. So it's yeah. catch it, cook it, grow it. Another thing here that intrigues me immediately is how to hot smoke Spanish mackerel. 
Now, oh, yeah. yeah. Hot, hot smoking, like it's not such a big thing in Aussie yet. It's not as, yeah. it's, it hasn't taken off as much as it has. Like when I was growing up in New Zealand, like smoked fish was the shit. Like yeah. we were yeah, eating yeah. smoked everything. Yeah. Kawai, uh, yeah. you know, like there was some, yeah, yeah, yeah. We like heaps of fish we'd smoke. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, shit, yeah, mate. We've been smoking fish since the 80s when we used to. We were mad keen trout fishers. I still mm. love my trout fishing. Mm. I'm actually heading for a week at Yukonbean next week. But, um, yeah, we smoked trout for, for a long time before we even got into the ocean and, and then um, smoked Spanish mackerel, man. That is the ball. Oh. It is the ball. Oh. Yeah. Unbelievably good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so my technique for that is like a, an hour of brine, mm. um, six six parts water, one one part salt. So mm. six cups of water, one cup of salt. Brine it for an hour, pat it dry. Say two kilos of medallions. You know, a little sprinkle of brown sugar into the hot smoker for eighteen to twenty minutes. Mm. Turn the heat off, leave it cool for seven or eight minutes. Bingo! There she is, done, ready to go. Mm. No, no, nothing too uh, too uh, flash with it. So what sort of smoke? Are you using a meth one or are you got a gas? What are you doing? No, no, I use oh, the little butane. Yeah, the but- butane burners that you get from uh, Bunnings. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, so I use. I used to use a metho, but it's just too messy and you know it runs out or it goes too long. So the butane is perfect. And then I use kitchen sink. So I've got a little uh, video there how to make your own hot smoker with a kitchen oh, yeah. sink. Yep. So you, you know, for when you see a clean up on the side of the road, grab the kitchen sink. Yeah. Um, you just uh, cut out a bit of the wa- washboard on the side of the sink and yeah. uh, tech screw it over the plug hole. Um, use a cake rack. Your sawdust goes in the bottom. Cake rack sits on top. Get an old barbecue lid from one of the cleanups, and there's your uh, free smoker. You know, Genius. ready to go, mate. That does the trick beautifully. Genius. How to fill it a flathead too? Like they're a pain in the ass to. Like, <laughs> I actually filleted one a little while back. I hadn't shot yeah. one for a year or so, and I filleted. Yeah. I did a half decent job. I was surprised. Mm. But um, no, they're good. There's a few little tricks with doing that to get the most out of them to make it easy and get all the bones out. So get a yeah, nice boneless skin. I was waiting for the hate mail because I did a ninety, a ninety-two centimeter flathead, you know, yeah. which is legal in New <laughs> South Wales. But oh man, the haters! It brings out the haters. The breeders. The You're taking yeah, the breeders. Were, yeah, 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 yeah. But hey, it's fighting for science because I'm sending the odorless in to get aged. Oh, so yeah. uh, they, they help them work out the structure of the fishery. That'll be interesting. I think um, it's a it's an uh, overlooked role a lot of spearers can play too. Like in New Zealand, mm. um, there's a bunch of freediving marine scientists now and they're mm-hmm. talking with one of my yep. mates, Blair, all the time. And yep. um, that relationship is what yep. I want to see more of in fisheries. Like yeah, sure. scientists yeah, yeah, should yeah. not be our enemies. Um, no, no, not at all. But no. unfortunately, like you get one ideological dickhead in there, and then they can ruin it all, <laughs> all for everyone. You know? Don't worry, I work with plenty of them. You know? Yeah, <laughs> but jeepers, it's it's good when we can like collaborate on something, and like, yeah, yeah. you know, Spiros are a force for good, scientists are a force for good, and then we can get some really good effective management strategies in place, and it all works. Yeah, yeah. I want to see know, more fisheries is funny. It's like a conservation agency where people join it because they love killing them. <laughs> you know, people don't go to national parks because they want to shoot koalas. You know, <laughs> you know, but you get into fisheries. You know, mostly, you see the worst natural-born killers of all time walking around the place. Yeah, yeah, you know, I put a few to sleep. You know, blah blah blah. blah. <laughs> uh, I put it. My mates, anyway. <laughs> I, I put a three-meter flatty to sleep. Uh, a metery, another metery down in the esky. <laughs> uh, have you oh, seen that beautiful. William Powerfish? 
online? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. That's just God, mate. My mates, we were always sending oh, each other. Right. Like, I was like about the meteries, you know, like we're always sending piss-taking photos to each other. I ah, pulled another metery. <laughs> you know me as an old magazine diver, always try to make my fist look about six times bigger than what it actually was, you know, because it's like porn, you know. It's like, got to look big. Everyone wants to see a big one. <laughs> oh, I love it. Killfish with precision and power, sending shafts from a stable platform with Killshot spear guns. Made in the Florida Keys by Ed Martin, you're buying American-made, dependable spear guns. Get $30 off any Killshot spear gun at killshotspearguns.com. Yes and amen, Nuba. That's $30 off American-made performance spear guns at killshotspearguns.com. It says if they're in the shop or on the phone, they can cash in by saying, crikey, mate, or the Noob Spiro podcast sent me. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com, based in the Florida Keys. Great news, guys. Adam Stern has made his freedivingfamily.com courses available at a discount for the Noob Spiro community. If you get on freedivingfamily.com, use the code SPIRO, you'll get 20% off any course. There's a bunch of sick courses on there. There's an equalizing uh, stage one. There's an equalizing advanced techniques um, video there. They're two of my absolute favorites. If you have any problems with equalizing, go to freedivingfamily.com, get Adam's course and use the code Spiro to get 20% off any course. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Function first, pretty design second. Penetrator's dual action water channeling rail provides more efficient action and similar fins by directing more water flow down the blade. This eliminates wobble, meaning that you get way more bang for your buck, for your energy buck. Visit penetratorfins.com, use the code NoobSpiro to save $25 on every pair, on any pair. That's correct my friend, use the code NoobSpiro to save $25 on any set of penetrator blades at penetrator.com. Sometimes with weather and commitments, it's a long time between drinks in your spearfishing journey. If you want a dry training program that can keep you in some kind of shape for spearfishing, check out Ted Hardy's 28-day freediving transformation at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. That's noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. Now the 28-day freediving transformation is just a practical dry training plan that Ted Hardy will walk you through and it will help you get results even if you can't get wet at the moment. Check it out at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. Moving back into some serious stuff. Um, yes, you yes. have a keen interest in the tourniquets now. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, TACMED, yep, yep. Yeah, and you yep. got involved with TACMED. Like I, um, yep. when I was going yep. through Corrections Academy, um, yep. Dan Pronk, from TACMED came out and run some of our resilience training. And yep. he was a combat medic in uh, the SAS or the yep. Australian Special Forces. And uh, he worked, it's one, of, I think it's part, part, he partly owns that company. His, his yep. stuff is unbelievably good, particularly yep. for Spiros. Uh, talk, yep. talk to us about your experience right. with TACMED and tourniquets. Sure. Okay, right. Well, so first off, um, I've been out with a guy that had been bitten by a shark and got helicoptered off a charter boat, 400 stitches, and, um, we gave him some excellent first aid, mm. so uh, he's still fine. But he still has a few issues from that. But look, the sharks have got to a to a point now where they are a serious threat. Um, it's you, you, you kind of think it's like if not when you, you're going to get bitten. Mm. So um, I dived with um, one of their um, their combat style tourniquets, um, tucked up my wetsuit shorts, and um, 
So it's all ready to deploy to either on myself or on a mate. I do lots of long uh, rock hops by myself a lot and also with other people. And, you know, we might be a kilometre away from shore, two kilometres away from shore. Um, if you get that bite that you're going to survive, you want to have the equipment there to survive it. So yeah. so that's what, that's what I have on my person. In the boat, I've got a full um, trauma kit. So they make these fantastic... Um, uh, like vacuum seal packs of, of you've got a tourniquet, you've got the big uh, bandage with a pad built into the bandage um, to stop, you know, that you can pack a wound and stop excessive bleeding. That could be from a propeller injury, shark, uh, anything. Um, bad cut from a big Spanish mackerel, knife injuries. Um, yeah, you had Wayne Judge stabbed himself in the leg with a knife. Unbelievable. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I've still been yeah, taking like, the piss out of him. He came out on oh, the last sure. one I was on too and we were all relentless yeah. on him. Oh, um, you would have to be. You Tim, know, Tim yeah, you get a bit judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, going back to that, look, everyone, yeah. absolutely everyone should have a really full uh, trauma kit on their yeah. boat. Like divers have been killed from being run over um, and there's a lot, you know, there are more shark attacks and it's always a possibility. Um, I listen, You know, one of your episodes, you know, that there was a terrible story about a poor... Evan Leeson? Yeah, oh, Evan, I've dived with him and they're like... Yeah to think of him being in that situation as well, um, to have that basic stuff. Like, it's small enough to travel with too. Like you go to Me- like, I love going to Mexico. Like you go to Mexico, take that stuff with you. Take the antibiotics, the betadine, all this, all this equipment because they, they're not going to have it there for you. Yeah, yeah. I and saw Mac- the Mackay Down Under Skin Divers Club, I think they're called. Um, yep. One of the blokes, Kurt, who's got a fantastic YouTube channel and he's awesome. part yeah, of yeah, their thing. Yeah, all the time. Th- they've Exhale. Got- Exhale. Yeah, 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 yeah. They've got yeah, – yeah. they've got Release their own um, little combat um, first aid kit for Spiros, and there's a tourniquet yeah. in there. There's the Israeli yeah. bandages and some of the other stuff that yep. you know yep. should be in Spiros first aid kits. So I think, um, yeah, hundred percent. Like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Prop, prop injuries, knife wounds, shark attacks. There's three major potential risks for yep. for, for big trauma. So yep. love it, love it. Um, so TACMED Australia also phenomenal yep. stuff uh, and very well. Um, Designed for a spearfishing application, so and cheap. Yeah, yeah, cheap. Tourniquet is forty three bucks. Um, my whole aquatic trauma kit that I have separate in the boat was one hundred and fifty. Yeah, free delivery. Like yeah. you know, so it's, it's a tiny amount of money to maybe save yours or your mate's life. One hundred and fifty bucks sounds expensive until you think about it in the context of someone's life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's all cryovac, you know, like uh, vacuum sealed, so you don't have to worry about it getting, you know, wet in the boat or, you know, when you need it, it's going to be there in good nick, ready to use. So yeah, hundred percent recommend it. Recommend and they, it. like, I think sometimes people, the other thing people are guilty of with first aid kits, it's like they go from one extreme to the other, from having yep. nothing to having mm-hmm. this huge piece of shit that's unwieldy and it's not practical mm-hmm. to take anywhere. And yep. it's like you really only need to worry about some certain things. Like major trauma is a yep. big one, though, eh? Oh, yeah, yeah, for diving. Look, I've done, you know, some crazy Spanish mackerel, like from dead Spanish, chuck a one in the esky and just open yourself up. Um, yep. Yeah, it's, it's amazing yeah. what you can, what how bad a Spanish can do do you in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll link up some of the photos you've sent me because you and Albie have got, um, you've had a few bloody good um, setups there. So, oh, no. Yeah, I made big, big shout out to Albie, the poor bugger. You know, he fell off his roof. Yeah, yeah, I just see he's, he's still recovering. Yeah, yeah. Former guest yeah. on the podcast. Um, Mate, he's an absolute le- – him and Trippy, they are the two most absolute legends that you've interviewed. They have yeah. done so much for young divers and all divers in, in, in Australia, like yeah. representing the sport and helping people so much. Mm. Poor old Albie broke his pelvis, his heel, mm. his wrist, 
fell off his roof. And he's the most agile man in the world. He's like the complete opposite of me. Well, he's a runner. The most agile, he's a runner but, too. Know, like, the yeah. runner. Yeah. He jumps into trees. Yeah. You know. So anyway, shout out to Albie, mate. I hope you're uh, getting better, mate. Yeah, I hope you're on the mend, Albie. And um, yeah, yeah. yeah, that podcast he did has been bloody popular too. And He's uh, a legend. And mate. for good reason. He's a top man. So. Yeah, yeah. So we had a lot of fun. We, had, we were in Vegas on my birthday one year, <laughs> running through that. I can't tell any of those stories. On this. <laughs> <laughs> what happens in Vegas, eh? This is a cliche. To stay in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, talking about some of your travels in America, big abs oh, yeah. is, is something you've been oh, yeah. passionate about chasing for years. Yeah. Tell me, yeah, oh, yeah. you got some on the back wall there. You got some absolute yeah. horses there. Oh, mate, it's a mouthwater. Oh. And you said like there, it's a, ten it's, inches. It's there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the ab, not me. That's ten inches. <laughs> is that the red lip abalone they get? Is that the one? California red. Mm. Yeah. Oh. California red abalone. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So we went there 2013, 2015, and 2017, the last year of the fishery. And um we watched you had the guy, Eric. Eric yeah, that you Anderson. did the interview. Yeah. Eric Anderson, man. What a ledge too, you know. Yeah. But um what a tragic um demise of that fishery thanks to climate change and a whole lot of factors. But uh Urchin yeah, so, yeah, twenty thirteen we went to go and get the ten inches. And mate, oh, oh man, what a what a what a what a trip! I fell backwards off a cliff. I fell what? like uh, I, I fell three meters off this cliff backwards with all my dive gear on onto the Holy rocks. Shit! <laughs> Did you break anything? Oh, yeah, a few things. Yeah, yeah, but but uh, but um, uh, that was my last dive to try to get a ten inch, and the other boys had ten inches, and I did this hour and a half dive because I tried to make everything the swelling and everything go down, and I was just like hurting, and I dive my ass off, and you're in the on the clock because you get hot. It's like eight degrees the water, yeah. eight degrees Celsius. You know, it's like crazy cold water, and you're getting hypothermia, so you just can't stay out. We would do that by an hour and three quarters or something like that. And you come and go, you know, when you get out of the water. And I was just so down. And then I had to go to Mexico and go spearfishing. I had all these like broken stuff. And like, anyway, just crazy. But, but long story short, 2015, I made up for it. I got a couple of tens in uh, 2015, even mm. though my mate Hicksy, he's going like, just got to go over here. No, no, James has got his own ideas. He'll go to his own spot and get nothing. Yeah, got to dive over here. No, 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 I know what I'm doing. You know, like <laughs> that stupid idiot, you know. But anyway, yeah. And then 2017, I was just crazy. All the vegetation had gone. The yeah. abs were dead all over the bottom. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. We dive the same place, like the, the over the, that, that 2013 to 2017. And um, we didn't feel bad taking the abs. They were all starving to death. They had no food. Um, mm. The only ones that were left are in the intertidal area, which we didn't touch. Mm. We just took the ones that were all dying out, out in the deep. Mm. And um, we went in the comp. Albie and I went in the comp at Manchester. That was unreal. Those Where American divers. Yeah. yeah they was had a big ab, a big ling comp. Oh, okay. In Manchester. So we went to the last one and all the legends, like Dennis Howes, like all these oh, legends. Yeah. yeah. You know, oh my God, my God, these like gods of diving, you know, walking around and, and talk and they'll talk to you, you know, oh, unreal, you know, like yeah. anyway, we, we went in the comp, it was unreal. The, the Americans are just the most awesome people, you know, yeah. they, they just can't do enough for you. They just oh, yeah. want to do anything for you. And, and uh, yeah, Al becomes second. He got the second biggest ab. Yeah. And I, and I got the sixth biggest ab, like out of 150 divers. Oh, that's freaking awesome. Well oh, done. yeah, no, we held the we flew the flag, man. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. What about Lincoln? Did you get it? Did you get lucky nah, with the Ling? No, no, no. We were just looking for abs. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. just abs, 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 abs. <laughs> Those Lincoln they get over there are pretty crazy. Like they're uh, oh yeah, they're a, that's its own kind of hunting. 
I in the caves and you know the the visibility is horrendous over there. Mm. So I went to Oregon as well. Like mm. they only have like California, they have like twenty four thousand divers will dive there, and Oregon they have like three hundred. Uh, divers in the season so i went and i wanted to go and get a 10 inch out of oregon man oregon oh man that is hard diving yeah two yeah. foot visibility with oh, a torch wow. <laughs> and swell and eight degree water and i went out and i got like a nine and three quarter and you only allow five abs for the season one a day okay so it's like oh and getting the license was just a nightmare driving to these field offices and yeah well, anyway finally got all this shit I got a nine and three quarters. Like, no, that's not good enough. I've got to get a 10, got to get a 10, you know? And then on my last day, I'm like, got the torch in front of my face. Literally, you just see the hand like that. You know, that's how far. Look in this crack and there's the edge of this ab. It's like, yeah, it's got to be a clunker in a cave. And I put the torch down on, I had it on the rope and I was like eight foot. It was not a deep dive, but you couldn't see anything. And so followed the little rope down, chuck in the ab iron in underneath this thing. And I had my hand under it because if it dropped, I was going to fall into this bottomless cave and I wouldn't be able to pull it out. And I dropped it into my hand and I pulled it out and I'm putting the 10 inch measure. And I was like, yes, <laughs> just went 10, just, just went 10 inches. But anyway, just as good enough. So. What's um, what's Oregon like in terms of like the culture? And It seems a bit different than California. It's poor. Yeah? It's poor. Okay. Like the people are poor. In terms of culture, get this for a story, right? Mm. So I'm driving my rental car and I've driven over a screw or something like that. I've got a flat tire on a Sunday. Mm. I go to Schwab's Tire Place in yeah. Brookings. The only, only Americans have a name like Schwab, you know, like <laughs> anyway. I go there and I say, oh, man, you know, it's got this rental car. You know, I'm an Aussie, you know, got a flat tire. Can you fix it? How much is going to cost me and all this sort of stuff? Anyway, yeah, yeah no, no problem, no problems, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like an hour and a half later, they 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 fix the tire and they go, how much? Go, no, no, for you, nothing. Charge oh, wow. me nothing. Literally, literally charge me nothing. You know, it's just so happy to help you. You know, sometimes poor people are the most generous. It's a weird thing, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I feel, you know, like um, I don't know. A lot of Australians probably haven't had a lot of experience with Americans, but they are the most generous, warm, yeah. giving people. They yeah. will bend over backwards to to help you. And uh, the media, yeah, no, we love going there. The yeah. media have gone to town in recent years on, on yeah, America. Yeah. They just portray them all as these Fruit Loop redneck, yeah, you know, just, invading the capital people, and that is not what Americans are like. I talk know. to they're, intelligent, they're lovely people, you know. well thought, you know, thoughtful people from America all the, all the yeah. time. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, they get a bad rap. Yeah. They really do. Yeah. 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 They've always been so nice to me. And mate, Mexico, let me talk about Mexico. Yeah. Man, Mexico is the place to go for some incredible diving. So yeah. now the best um one of your things that you said to me is like, what's the best day you've ever had out spearfishing? And mm -hmm. and, and that was a trip Dodgy and I did to um Agua Verde. Yep. So we go with Palapas Ventana. You've had Tim Hatler and No, I and haven't. Bro bro I haven't. I'm gonna have them on. They oh, sorry, maybe that was a different that was a rival. Rival podcast. There's no rival podcast. We're all friends. <laughs> anyway, Tim Hatler, he 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 uh, started up um, Palapas Ventana, and uh, and Brock's one of his old mates that works for him. And yep. a big shout out to all the guys at um at, at Palapas, uh, Chewy, Yoni, Kamalion, Israel. You know all these people that have just been so fantastic to us and looked after us. Mexicans are like Australians; like they always taking a piss out of each other. Oh yeah. Um, Oh man, they've all got nicknames. You know, they call me uh, like El Gordo. You know, the fat one. <laughs> you, you, know, you know, like they—they're just unreal. You know, they're sensationally funny people. Yeah. And some great. You know, there's some of them are great divers, and um, 
yeah, they just love life. Just, yeah, cool. you know, but and they're really relaxed. You know, you think like it, it's no nanny state in New Mexico. Like you ask him, is it Pelagrosa? You know, is it dangerous? No, nah, man, no, 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 <laughs> man, it's freaking dangerous. <laughs> just do it at your own risk. You can do anything you like in Mexico, but it's at your own risk. So. Yeah. But um, yeah, this 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 trip we went to Agua Verde. It's this little town um, about seven hours up the coast from Palapas. And Palapas is full luxury. It's like first world luxury. Air conditioned cabins. Um, you know, full bar, restaurant, sit in the pool, you know, out in the nice boats, you know, that's full luxury. So then you go out to Agua Verde. It was when we went there the first time, it's this little fishing village on the coast in this incredibly rugged mountain landscape to get into. Mm. No power, no running water, no internet, no phone, no nothing like that. And we sleep on cots out in the open and it's like a giant farmyard. Like it's all livestock oh, and chickens wow. and dogs <laughs> and stuff like that. And all night long, it's like, rah, 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 and like rah, 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 barking dogs and stuff like this. So it's just crazy. And um, man, there's this dog, I've got to tell you the story, but this dog is Puma. It's like a staffy cross thing and they've all got their balls. Like no one, no dogs are desexed in Mexico. They all oh. just run crazy. This <laughs> dog's favourite activity was to run full tilt into the back end of a goat. And I mean into the back end of a goat up to its eyeballs and then dodge out of the way when this goat is trying to butt it with the horns. <laughs> You'd be sitting on the couch next thing, Puma would come flying over the couch with a chicken by the live chicken by the wing in his mouth over the couch. It's just crazy dog. Anyway, so this is Agua Verde. So super remote. We're going out. Um, there's an island about 15 miles off the coast, um, mm. Catalina, and then there's these pinnacles. So they didn't really have many marks. Palapas, they had like the marks for the pinnacles, which is just absolutely sensational, crazy Jurassic Park place. And then they had one pretty average sort of mark on the island. So Dodgy and I got to go out prospecting on the island, which is just your know, absolute dream. Instead of being taken by guys, go to this spot, this spot, this spot, you'll find this here. We got to go and prospect this island. Oh, it's wow. like, like no one had got to do it. So we're looking at that geology, you know, we're looking at the Google Earth, we're like blah, blah, blah. And then no sounder on the boat, no, no, no tech, you know, so shit. Anyway, we look at this point. Uh, that's the way the landform's going in. Current's coming on here. Let's swim out here. Swim, swim, swim. Man, we get out there and we find this place like 20 metres to the sand mm. and there's 100 giant cuberas racing over the sand to get into the caves underneath us. So Holy we're marking where the caves are. We're taking landmarks off the island yep. so we can find this. You know, real all old school stuff, yep. you know. A Triangulation. Yeah, man, fantastic. And we're shooting like I got a 28 and a half kilo Cubera. Holy smokes. Ducking, yeah, ducking in and out of this cave, sitting at 19 meters, which is deep for really deep for me, you know, mm-hmm. sitting out waiting for it to pop its head out, woof, 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 in and out of the cave like that. Boom, shoot it there. And Dodgy smacked there. He's always smack a bigger one than me. He's like shoots this 45 kilo amberjack. Um, you know, oh, there's all yeah. this like 10 kilo Cabrilla, like a coral trout. Just, just so, amazing stuff. So are you on the Gulf side or are you on the – In the Sea of Cortez. Sea oh, yeah. of Cortez, yeah. So so from yeah, La Paz, it's south? Side. North, north. Oh, okay, okay. Halfway up there, pretty halfway up the Sea of Cortez just before Loreto, which oh, is a major town up there. So it's just okay. out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah the right. Sea of Cortez – it's just absolutely um, incredible. It's it's the warm water side. So the Pacific Coast, mm. it's cold. It's like an uh, extension of America. It's a cold current. Yep. Um, crazy fish, crazy sea lions, scary, scary, scary diving. Like you think you are going to get eaten at any second by a giant great white. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I got fronted by a massive sea lion there. 
Like um, we dived on the Pacific coast. It was freezing cold. We were running out of juice. They have mm. these like like a 44-gallon drum with a hose in it. That's the fuel tank. <laughs> and you're watching the fuel go down. You go, shit, we got to get back. Go over the river bar. It's freezing cold. Um, anyway, we're diving. Dodgy had to get out. His ear was stuffed. I was by myself diving, swimming around. I hadn't shot a fish because I was shitting myself. Like, I think I'm going to, there's like 4,000 sea lions on this island. I'm going like Tiburon Blanco, you know, great white. They go, no, no, no. It's, it's probably gross. No, no, no. So it's definitely, definitely dangerous when they say it like that, right? So anyway, and then every dive you dive, it's like 20, 20 foot viz. Yeah. Um, and we're diving like 50 foot. Every time you got down the bottom, you're just surrounded by these uh, like huge schools of yellow pargo, like a mangrove jack, you know, yep. blue chained beautiful eating fish, but super tame, hundreds of fish. Every time you got to the bottom, I was like, I was looking for a big grouper. You know, I wanted to shoot one big grouper. It didn't, didn't happen. Are they? Anyway, we get, sorry. Oh, what, what, do you know which, which grouper species are they? Oh, they have like a broomtail grouper. Okay. Okay, Yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah, Big black grouper. Yeah. Yeah. Anything big. I was going to shoot a big one. Everything gets eaten there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You just want to, just, just want to get like something that you'll never, ever get, you know? Anyway, um, I didn't. I saw one about ten kilos. I didn't shoot it because I thought if I'm only going to shoot one, it's got to be a good one. You know. Mm. Anyway, then the end of the day, they go, oh, boy, you know, shoot some fish. When want some fish for dinner, shoot some of these yellow pargo because they're absolutely beautiful eating fish. Okay. And I was like, okay, right. I'll open up. Like, shoot one, one, two. And then I shot my third one. I'm down about fifty foot, and this ten foot sea lion just slides up in front of my face puts his face right in my face and pulls his lips back like a dog with a big canine. So just going like that. I was like, holy <laughs> shit. You know, you just swim straight over to the float line and he's going to grab one of these yellow pargo. And they got these really nasty spines, like dorsal spines on them. Mm. So I let him like let the line out as he's got it. And then I was like, like pull it back really hard, pull the spines into his mouth. I was like, <laughs> F you pal. You know, anyway, this is like tug of war all the way back to the surface. And I'm going, bang, bang. It was more like, bang, bang, bang. You know? Like my little bitch voice is like, you know, <laughs> swimming for the boat. And this thing's up my ass, you know, this big yeah. sea lion is like over the side of the boat. Oh, that's it. No more diving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to look, back to, back to Catalina. Yeah. So just like prospecting that, that place, it was just, that's just like a dream come true. When you can go to a place that's super remote, that's just got giant fish that oh, haven't had much s- dive pressure on them. And I can see it. Isla yeah. Santa Catalina. Adelina, you're beautiful, yeah, mate. Up at the north, northern end, you see there's like, so a little, uh, little, little uh, reef going out, out in there, and and uh, yeah. So we got all these Cubera caves, and we saw them to forty kilos. These Cuberas there, and and look, Mexico's fantastic. You only can take five fish in a day. Yeah, you know it's very okay. restricted. You can't, you just don't go crazy there. Yeah, and uh, but you'll get the fish of your dreams. There. Wow. Palapas, I shot a couple of striped marlin. Yeah, you know wahoo, like uh, huge cuberas, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So um, so you fly into La Paz, and then you no, we fly fly into Cabo. Okay. And then they, they they'll organise a shuttle to come and pick you up. Okay. With cold beers. You know, oh, stop, wow. for, stop for tacos and burritos, man. You start living the dream the moment you get off. Is it get through customs? Is it an expensive trip? Apart, oh, is, not 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 really. Like it's expensive to get to America, yeah. you know. But when, once you're over there, it's not it's not too bad. Like like work out it. You can work out a group deal with Tim. Mm. You know, nail him yeah. down. He likes to make a profit. <laughs> <laughs> nail him down on a price for stuff, and 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 depending on what you know, what sort of diver you are, look it. Mexico is one place that if you can dive a little bit deeper, mm. it really helps. If you're a 20 meter diver, you'll do really well in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. If you're not, a, if you're not, uh, if you only can do uh, like 15 meters, 
you're probably better to go earlier, like April, May in the season, when, yep. when the thermocline's higher and the, and the reef fish are out. Mm. Uh, as the season goes on, you know, it gets harder. You mm. know, they go deeper. And, and, I've, uh, I've been in chats with Tim and Brock to um, get him on the show. I really want to do it. Um, now that you've yeah. intrigued me more telling me stories about the place, I'm oh, even yeah. more intrigued. I really yeah. want to go to America. Pre-COVID, oh, I was planning to go over and do maybe like the Blue Wild and yeah. um, I knew another one that was starting in Florida um, that I wanted to go and be a part of. Um, yep. I really want to get around them and hang out. I, 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 yeah. I could spend two months in Florida, I reckon, and two months in California and then another yeah, yeah. couple of weeks. In hey, mate, don't, don't forget Louisiana, mate. We yeah. went to Louisiana with Albie, Albie, yeah. Dodgy and myself, and, and uh, we went and dived the rigs, the yep. oil rigs. Yeah, yep. Oh, man, fantastic guys, those guys in Louisiana. They they, they took us out, this big boat, and uh, that's an that's an out-of-this-world experience. Like, you dive through 40 foot of complete shit river water, and then it opens out into this blue room just mm. full of big – we timed it so we could shoot red snapper because they have a very limited season when you can okay. shoot these big American reds. They're like a red emperor, mm. they look like. And, um, oh, yeah, I've seen remember, them, yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah, so we were shooting these reds, and bloody dodgy plugged himself this giant um, – Oh, what's the thing? Anyway, you should plug this stupid giant fish over there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, that oil rigs, they were fantastic, those guys yeah. there. Like, Louisiana was so backwards, we couldn't even buy a licence. They couldn't cope with an international address to buy a fishing licence. Yeah, yeah. And the guy's got to go, no, don't worry, just kill me out, you know. <laughs> you know, there's, like, chewing tobacco spitting in the bottle all the way out, the guy driving, you know, just, just amazing. Those guys were awesome. Love yeah. it. They, they looked after us like an absolute treat over there. Mm. And um, they've got big boats to get out to these big rigs, big eh? Boats, big boats, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. what's big, the Gulf of Mexico boat. like, like boating wise? Is it how does it Fantastic. stack up? Yeah, well, the day we went it was beautiful. Yeah, we had a massive storm and like big electrical storm on the way back in. Yeah, but yeah, it's it, it's fairly sheltered. I, I, I'm, you know, if it was blowing its ring out, yeah, it'd be a problem, yeah. or if, you know, a hurricane or something. But no, it's beautiful, beautiful boating, and there are rigs absolutely everywhere. Just hundreds of oil rigs. It's pretty. And, uh, it's pretty nutrient yeah. dense that water too, isn't it? But it's just a big yeah. old mud bottom, isn't it? You, we never saw the bottom. Like we were diving, yeah. most of the rigs were like 140 foot to the bottom, something yeah. like that. So you dive into this layer. And the further out you went, the, the shallower the surface layer was. Mm. So it started off in close and it was like 40 foot. Mm. Then we got out wide, it was probably like 20 foot. And then you'd have anywhere from 20 foot to 60 foot of the what I call the blue room, you know. Yeah. And then underneath the blue room, it's dirty. And that goes to wherever on the bottom. And all the fish, that, you know, that you can shoot because that's where you can see are in that in the blue room. Yeah, yeah. right. And um, yeah. current? Uh, we didn't have a howling current. I've seen some videos. Yeah, that uh, Braden Sharon, like yeah. he does a lot of the rig diving there, right. and you see them, yeah, they get some pretty hectic currents there at times. But, yeah, we, we were lucky. We yeah. didn't have too much current. Because, you know, you don't want to have to swim too hard into the into the current. Uh, barnacles are incredible on that. Like, they use cable mainly Yeah. Um, because of the abrasion. But uh, So break away with cable. Uh, not even a breakaway. No, I think oh, maybe some do, yeah, but mm. you, don't, you can do it straight through to your gun. Yeah, you know, oh. I had it straight through to the gun. Keep the, you know, just your shooting line. Pretty, yeah. Just a shooting line for cable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, wow. uh, yeah so there's just... big cobia and there's things like a Spanish mackerel, king mackerel. It looks like a Spanish mackerel. You've done heaps of the shit I want to do. I'm kind yeah, of yeah, I'm yeah. very envious. And New Zealand, man. We go to New Zealand every year yeah. in February to get scallops and tour tours. And, and oh, so what you do? Fish. The sounds, Marlborough sounds? Uh, uh, Coromandel. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, around Waihee or further north, or I uh, yeah, a bit, 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 bit further north. Yeah, on the northeast corner. Yeah. Uh, I can't name the place. I'll get shot if I yeah, if, yeah, if yeah. I say exactly I, where I, it is. I don't like but, to do that either. But but but, but uh, yeah, I've got a mate, uh, old mate Pete there that's got the big giant um, cray on the wall, and and Mike. We rent the house from Mike, and mm. they got big boats. You know, the big drive-in boats. Mm. You drive mm. in off the beach on the three wheel things, and yeah. and they rent a little boat. And man, we just have a week, week or eight or nine days or whatever. Hey, you might as well answer it. Oh no, no, no! It's no, probably no, one of your no. one of your telemarketing calls you booked later. Yeah, Secretary. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the wife's come threatening to come in and you know slap me again. Yeah, yeah. no, like New Zealand, like absolute like magic, magic place. Yeah, Joe Burke, I've done a bit of diving with him. He does yep. charters uh, out of Tauranga now. Yeah, um, going and going to White Island. Been to White Island a few times. I, really, I want to do that too. Oh, it's incredible dive out there. I, I lived in Wangamata for about a year. I was the um um. A volunteer DJ, and I was the assistant manager at the little cinema there. I um, helped a mate set up a, a scuba diving kayak business, like kayak fishing and scuba diving. Oh yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. Um, when I was uh, probably nineteen, and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, that was a good little adventure. I love that part of the world. Beautiful oh, diving, yeah. great people. Yeah. Um, not not too no no real big cities apart from Tauranga and the Mount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, how scary are the sharks in New Zealand? Holy oh, Mako, Mako sharks in that part of the world are crazy. Yeah, well, I swam with a, a, a three-meter Mako. I got some awesome footage of it wiggling up to the end of the gun. Yeah. It was super, super calm one, which was nice. Okay. But um, the, the bronzies, mate, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> they are just terrifying over there. I think they've got worse. I don't. I, they mate, got a lot worse, mate. Yeah. A lot worse. Only shark I've ever had to shoot was in New Zealand. And if yeah. I didn't shoot it, I would have killed me. Hundred percent. Wow. We dive in this place called Bronze Whaler Point because there's so many bronzies there. Uh, Luke, um, Luke from Aquatic Rehab has got some fantastic footage from there. You can see him. His mate loses a couple of shafts and all from that area. Okay. So uh, Aquatic Rehab, big shout out to Luke. He's yeah, an absolute yeah. legend, mate. Legend. Yeah. Uh, great guy. We've dived with him over there. It's just like he's an incredible bloke. I tried to dive with him last time I was there. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's a he's a champion. No? Yeah, yeah. Great bloke. But anyway, we're on, I'm at Bronzy Point by myself. Oh. So I'm out to the end of the point. It's about a K from the beach. And um, I've been chopping up fish, burling for the snapper. Mm. Oh, I've seen huge reds there, you know, 11, yeah. up to 11 kilos there, right? Anyway, all the reds have disappeared and I should have been twig. I was lying on the bottom, only five metres, lying on the bottom of the edge of the weed, looking over the like more barren sort of stuff. Mm. And this like nine, ten foot bronzy comes screaming over the bottom straight up and just grabs the end of my spear gun in his mouth, you know, Holy and it's shit. like backwards and forwards trying to, trying to pull a shaft out of his mouth. Luckily he didn't pop the rubbers. And then he spun on his, he let go of it, spun on his own length and he popped his teeth out and he had his nose at full right angles to his body and, and went me from that distance. Holy shit. And, and he lined up the shaft perfectly with the middle of his nose. So when he was like an inch off it, I just pulled the trigger. <laughs> he was going to bite me for sure. Like yeah. he wasn't, this was no fake yeah. charge. And it went through, did not even touch the back of the shark, split its nose in two. Mm. And I lifted up and come underneath me pouring claret, pouring out of its nose. And I was like, man, no, like Burko's got some, Brett Burko, he's got some footage where the shark turns at right angles and pops his teeth out like that and bites his camera. That's exactly what it looked like. Yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah. It was they, very frightening. 
they they seem you can write them off as just intimidators. Like they love to yeah. posture up yeah. and yeah. But I haven't really seen much of that. But I hundred percent believe you. I just um, oh yeah yeah. Well, my mate, the big rig at Never Fail. Um, we were diving at Never Fail on the back of Great Mercury Island, which is mm. another awesome spot to dive. But it has a lot of dirty water, a lot of sharks, big kingies. And we've been getting kingies like running off in the dirt and just getting eaten by the bronzies on, on the bottom. And the big rig's just sitting there down about like eight or nine metres at the dirt layer. Mm. And he's looked up and this bronzy's just going chomp, 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 all the way from the surface down to his head. Oh. And he's just put the gun up, not fired it, and the bronzy's driven the shaft through its bottom jaw without him firing it, just going crazy trying to bite him. Oh, and yeah. then ripped the gun, ripped the spear out of the gun. <laughs> Swam around, so he's yeah, yeah. Had to Jeez. cut the cut the shaft off with his bronzy going. You know, he calmed down a bit when he had a shaft hanging out of his bottom jaw. But he, man, he drove that shaft through his jaw. Mm-hmm. So, in, in your mind, that's probably one of the sketchiest spots for sharks around. Oh, 100 percent. Like we have a lot of issues here. We have a lot of problems with bull sharks um, yep. charging us, and and um, yeah, you know, they're really bad. Um, I've dived with a lot of white sharks in, mm. especially in Port Stephens, had like a couple of different white sharks in dives and, you know, they've been, they're a bit sneaky, but, um, but those bronzies are just out and out aggressive. Mm. Yeah. We've had them push us up against rocks and stuff like that. And, you know, in packs of them, <laughs> just, just, and it's definitely got worse. Yeah, like yeah. in the 15 years that we've been diving New Zealand, it's gone from where you'd hardly see one to now it's like, man, you, you shoot a kingfish, you're, definitely going to have some issues there. Yeah. Well, Luke, like I watched some of Luke's videos. He doesn't even shoot them now. Like they, if they go on a meat run, they have very deliberate strategies about managing like not feeding the sharks and stuff. So sure. Oh, we mate, we're Aussies, mate. We don't give our fish over to the sharks. Like we, you know, we'll, we'll, we keep the fish away from them. You know, we don't, we don't give them up. I think that's what's happened a bit too. Yeah. Like you said, they're very intimidated, you know, intimidating and and Mm. people have given their fish up and and I'm not blaming anyone for doing that. It's very, very frightening when you've got a huge animal or more than one of them going at you, charging you full, full stick. It's easy to give a fish up, but, but we don't do it. Yeah. We hang on to them, scream like a girl and get in the boat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to work out a bronzy's range because like a lot yeah. of people up here will call the whalers we get off Brisbane um, bronzies, but they're not. They're not. They're not. They're dusky, dusky whalers. Dusky yeah, 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 dusky whalers. Yeah, Co- yeah. Coughs is maybe as far north as the bronzies go. Nah, isn't it? Not I, even I that high. No, 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 no. I think yeah. um, maybe Sydney. Sydney. Yeah, I, I right. Everything north of that is is most likely um, a dusky whaler. Yeah. Which is a bit, bit different. Nowhere near as aggressive. Yeah. We, we have big duskies here. Mm. So yeah, I having said that, I had did have one push me across the surface one day when I was burly. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see ducked in on the pin pockets and pushed me across the surface, yeah. but he just wanted the fish. But that big duskies generally leave us alone. But um, the proper bronze whaler—they're a very distinctive shark. They got that really, you know, the sharp, the very sharp um, nose. Yep. Um, real copper coloured, yep. very, very, very big pectoral fins. The yeah, um, they're very distinctive shark. The, the real ones. The whaler family is quite big, but they oh, it's it's, it's weird yeah. how some of them are locked in temperature bands. And the yeah. bronzy very yeah. much seems like one of those. It's a cold water shark. Yeah. Um, the sandbar yeah. shark is another sort of weird one that people yeah. don't oh, talk yeah, about yeah. a lot. We got but, a few sandbars up here. Yeah. yeah. Um, big high dorsal fin. Yeah, yeah, real very high. Very distinctive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's interesting, eh? Like different sharks definitely have different characteristics and behaviour and managing it. Over your years, like with diving all different shark species, have you noticed any yeah. commonalities that help you to manage them? 
Oh, 100%. Like, we had to change our diving in Port Stephens for the Great Whites. They were protected in about 96, 97. And the pros used to bang them on the head um, before that in their beach hauling. Mm. And um, they'd not put, put seven or ten through the market every year. So once that stopped, it, they very quickly, you know, all these juveniles would grow up. Mm. and So we were mainly dealing with sharks between sort of two and a half and a bit over three metres. So yeah. it's still... Pretty decent size, but not these, you know, like five, six meter behemoths that you see on, you know, uh, National Geographic. But um, they're very, very sneaky, very sneaky sharks. So um, we always had this thing of looking behind us before we left the bottom yep. and making eye contact with them. Um, they're very timid shark. Um, if you see one and you charge it, as soon as you see it and you charge it, they will bolt. They will not hang around. They do not like uh, aggression. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that's what we did with the whites. But I, we had a classic store with Dodgy one day. We took the the marine park manager out to this wide reef, and he doesn't like you know great whites. <laughs> so like, oh man, come out here. That's, that's unreal. This boat. As soon as we jump in the water, it's rare, like crystal clear day. There's this professional fish trap in about 15 meters, full of snapper. Yep. And the first thing we swim over, there's this great white just doing laps around this fish trap on the bottom, and he's going, oh, we're going to get back in the boat. Go, Don't get back in the boat, you soft cop. Next thing, Dodgy and I are shooting, but and we're like chopping bonito <laughs> up in the water to get these snapper excited. And he's just like, like that anyway, you know. There's the dodgy's diving down on the bottom, chasing these reds, and we're on the surface, and this like three and a half, the different white, this three and a half meter white pulls in behind his fins, about two meters behind his fins, and he's just tracking him along the bottom. And every turn that dodgy would make, this shark would just adjust and just turn in behind his fins, not Jesus. being aggressive, just watching him pull on. We're on the surface going, brr, brr. that noise you make when you're in the diving, yeah, you yeah. tell someone, brr. Yeah. But from 15 metres away, you know, he's not going to hear a thing, yeah. you know. Anyway, but Dodgy knows what to do, so as soon as he finished the dive, he just turned straight around, made eye contact, and just peeled, peeled straight off. Trek dude, you're killing it on the Noob Spiro podcast. Every guest you get on froths on the Spearing lifestyle, and the actionable info is off the chain. Over here at uh, Spearing Magazine HQ, it's the same, buddy. So many noobers are submitting their adventures, lessons learned, and pictures here at SpearingMagazine.com. I just wanted to say that noobers can get an international subscription at SpearingMagazine.com. Also, they can uh, check out our In the Face Apparel or get a subscription to the greatest Spearing Magazine on the planet. That's all right here at SpearingMagazine.com. I am Jeremy Gamble, and uh, man, I love the Noob Spiro podcast. This is Jeremy out. Equalizing problems can be something that derail you. Not today, my friend. Go to freedivingfamily.com. Check out the, either the Friends and Advanced Friends video or the Mouthful and Deep Friends Equalization course at freedivingfamily.com. You can use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. These courses are put together by Adam Stern and a select team of, of, of legends. And to help you overcome different issues and help you perform better, and some of them are extremely relevant for freedive spearing. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. I just love a functional and simple spear gun that I can trust when I pull the trigger. Killshot spear guns utilize the finest of kiln-dried Burmese teak. Killshot spear guns also combine American-made parts and fine craftsmanship to bring you accurate, reliable, and simple spear guns that you can trust fish after fish get $30 off any Killshot Spear Gun at killshotspearguns.com yes and amen Uber. 
That's $30 off American-made performance spear guns at killshotspearguns.com. I'm really sorry for this terrible accent. Brought to you by Ed Martin at killshotspearguns.com. I've read a bit about great whites. Like, I, I don't know if you've heard that thing where, like, they'll swim alongside you. And then, yeah. um, because great whites will do it to each other. And then the the one that's dominant will keep swimming, but the one that's kind of like more um, diminutive or whatever will, will be the one that peels off. Yeah. And then it's like that they work out things without having to physically fight and kill each other all the time. Yeah. yeah. And, well, um, mate, they will, they will, they will bite each other. I tagged, um, we did some tagging in 2007 for work. Mm. We went and tagged, we tagged 10 whites in four days, mm. just visually spotting them in my dive spot. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, the beach next to my dive spot. And we just chuck base to them, hook them, and tie them out to sea, put them in the stretcher, and drill satellite tags into them. Yeah. And we pulled in this 1.9 meter one, and he had a bite mark all the way around his head from another white that had oh, grabbed hold of him shit. around the around the head and he'd lived because it was healed up but yeah it had the big te- teeth mark so he might mightn't have been the one that peeled off in time <laughs> in new zealand at the moment i see all the time divers swimming <laughs> with um with great uh with killer whales with orcas yeah and i'm thinking like maybe their numbers are on the improve because of the shark numbers are on the improve yeah well there's a lot of marine mammals for them to eat too yeah, a lot but of whales. Yeah. With, with the sharks, all they do is eat their bloody liver or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they yeah. just leave them. Yeah, yeah. Jeepers. Yeah. They're nice, aren't they? Oh, well, <laughs> this, like sometimes you talk to like greenies and stuff and they, they, they think nature's like this amazingly gentle place. <laughs> and it's well, like. Lambs, lambs frolicking in the paddock. <laughs> well, we get super offended with shark finning and, and I, I do too, like, oh, particularly if you're going to leave yeah. the fuck the friggin' things alive. But yeah. then it's like, here comes a great white that just knocks this thing unconscious, eats its liver and leaves the friggin' thing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Nature's Wonderful. always just as cruel as, as people. I mean, the only thing is, yeah. is we've got a, a level of intelligence higher, um, which, yeah. which should make us a bit more thoughtful and intentional and, yeah, all those yeah. good words. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, I think like, look, so, so many of people today are out of the food chain. Mm. You know, you, 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 when you go diving, you're back in the food chain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to a bloke, um, Josh Bollin, and he was talking about like, uh, we were talking about anxiety and like, you know, our everyday lives. If you're just sitting in front of a computer or you've got some sort of regular nine to five gig, like, we, we, we battle with like mental tension, anxiety, yeah. you know, a, a bunch of mental illness and stuff like that. Mm. And sometimes mm. I feel like spearfishing allows you to almost hit a reset button where, mm. where mm. you like actually have some real context for legitimate yeah. anxiety and fear. 100%. And then it, yeah, when yeah. you come back to your normal life, you're able to yeah. function m- much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, there's nothing like getting the shit scared out of you by a big wild <laughs> animal, you know, to make you prioritise. Yeah. You know, that, that, that issue with your boss. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. That that giant bull shark that's trying to rip your head off. Yeah. And you're a kilometer out to sea with no boat. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you like um oh that Catherine, she said like um uh don't sweat the petty stuff. Uh <laughs> Pet the, pet the sweaty stuff or something like that. But, <laughs> I love oh, how cheeky she like, is. Sounds like my kind of girl. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's funny. But, like, I, I really yeah. like her the way, you know, like, some yeah. of the stuff we get so offended by and concerned about, it's just like, yeah, shit, yeah. like, 
Come on. Yeah, like, yeah. So let's you know, it does. It, straight, it straightens you out. Like, I think that's, you know, um, why do you go diving? It is the big it is the big reset. You're in the natural world. You cannot, if you're a proper diver, smart diver, you're not thinking about that shit back at home. You are yeah. really switched on. You're watching everything around you. You're yeah. taking it all in. You're, you know, thriving and surviving. Yeah. You know, that, that that's what it's all about out there. And, uh, you know, it's just so many, there's so many challenges mm. with it that are awesome yeah that you know like big seas you know getting off the rocks in big seas getting back oh. out in big seas you know <laughs> in crazy stuff my you balls know. are shrinking up just thinking about it <laughs> i'll tell you a funny story you know like one day down in my spot in port stevens i missed mm. a big snapper that like on um, one day you know from something i should you know something i could have done better but mm. anyway it's just a thing and it was just burned me all night long i was like <laughs> you know you know like the teeth grinding you know replay <laughs> it endlessly over in your mind so the next morning i was going i'm going to go out and try and get a crack at this red very limited time when they're hanging around and the seas are coming up and if these back bombings are breaking you can't dive it it's just it's just undivable you know and i'm looking at it and it's really close to breaking it's like bugger it you know i'm gonna get out that big red that big red's out there i'm gonna get that big red gotta get that big red yeah so i jumped in my spot swam out the back and as i was getting out there the sea it's about four four hundred odd meters swim out there the sea's just building and building and building and i get out there and by, by the time i got out there they're all breaking crazy bombies are breaking like five meters of water oh wow it's like, holy shit you know this is big and i'm going up like look like he was on the top of the apartment building looking back at the headland it's like holy shit <laughs> you know i was like oh this is not good you know and my and my jumping point is a one-way point oh, like the, no. the water flushes you out to sea yeah. but you can't swim against the current into it but it's the only safe spot on this headland and then you've got this massive beach and all the waves are crashing in on the beach and this huge rip is coming off the corner so you couldn't swim in into that yeah. and then it's like kilometers of rocks to try to get back in and the seas are building and building and building and i swim back in i'm in this bomby field like this big kanji pinnacles i'm in the middle of it wait for a lull then i bolt my ass off and i'm puckered like fully fully puckered this is not good you know <laughs> trying to yeah. get up this channel and it's like swimming into a river like, oh, everything everything up, 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 up. can't make it around the channel they're flushed out and then i see the sets coming so oh, shit come around this back channel I'm trying to get up the back channel. These huge sets are rolling through. And then when you when the waves get forced into a channel, you know, they go vertical up, like yeah. 15, 15 to 20 foot up and down this channel. Yeah. And I'm in it totally out of control, you know, like a cork, just this way, that way, this way, up, down, sideways. Holy, Holy shit. shit. And I'm looking at this chute and there's this rock pool that's got splash pool that never gets connected to the water. And there's this rock shoot, like a 45 degree shoot. Going, Man, I'm going up the chute. <laughs> I'm going up the chute. So I get this like the second wave of ascent. I go up the chute. I get about two thirds of the way up, and the wave drains back. And I'm like, Kloop! you know, lock my hands on the kanji. Guns all tangled up, and then I look behind me, and there's this giant third wave of the set coming through. It's like, mommy. <laughs> Up the rocks, cheese grated the shit out of myself. Got up on the top of the rocks, luckily, like held on and crawled out. And there's just claret pouring out of my legs and everything. Like that. Well, oh my God, I'm alive. <laughs> holy shit. I wanted to raise an interesting point. Um, you wear shorty pants, eh? All the time. And you yeah, always yeah, yeah. have done. Always have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So climbing up those rocks with the context of not having any protection <laughs> on your knees. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty yeah, bad. It's, it's like razor blades. Holy yeah, yeah. shit! 
Yeah, like I said, heaps of claret. I'm not joking. The whole legs, the front of my legs are just red. There's lots of claret pouring out. It's like, but I'm going, yes, yes, I'm alive. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about hitting the reset. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Puts everything in context. Absolutely, mate. Those same rocks, like one day, uh, not 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 too many years ago, and I was I was a huge bitch, you know. I I I had a dew over my shoulder, my way, but they're quite slippery. These rocks, Mm. and I um I slid forward. Oh shit! My big toe went down in a crack, like down into like two inches into the crack, and stopped. And I kept going. Oh, it's like. And the dew and everything fell back in the water. And I jump in, I pulled all the thing out. I had to walk like half a K to my car. And I got there and I'm looking at it going, I think I must have dislocated my toes. So I grabbed it and twisted it. <laughs> anyway, when I got the x-rays, like this crown fracture all the way around the top of it. I don't think twisting is the record. Yeah, I've got a lot of really, 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 really stupid things. I've got one more brilliant, stupid story. You know, Americans, one bad thing they do, Mm. they have loaded guns out of the water. Okay. They like to drive around in the boat with the five band guns loaded sitting in the back of the boat. Ooh. Which is incredible. To me, that's incredibly dangerous. They don't think anything of it. Guns are bouncing up and down. You know, and they're only held in by friction. Yeah, it's friction-based mechanisms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy uh, to bounce he- these big, incredibly thing. Anyway, my customised Seahornet, right, mm. back to the customised Seahornet. <laughs> so I put a 7 mil Euro shaft into mm. a Seahornet mechanism, which Ooh. is more like a rife mechanism. I had two heavy-duty rubbers on it. We're at Black Rock at Southwest Rocks in Dodgy's old Cavalier Express. We're sitting on that, and I'm sitting on the gunnel of the boat, and I just pull the second rubber, I put one rubber on, load it, Sitting on the gunnel, pull the second rubber on, and Bushka off she goes all by herself. Sharp is the GPS aerial, goes up in the air, and I'm just like, oh, oh. and then it comes down, Bushka straight through my ear. Nearly boned me. It's like straight through my ear. Dodgy's just wetting himself laughing. You know, uh, he's just like hilarious. And I jumped in the water. There's all clear up coming out of my hood. And I was like, <laughs> like that. So don't load your gun out of the water. <laughs> it's the moral of that story. Mate, you've had some hectic injuries. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I have. And then, you know, you talked about uh, one time you talked about someone with a barracuda. This is my other really stupid story. I was at Finger and Thumb at Mackay because I used to go up there regularly, dive a coffee challenge back in the more early 2000s. I was bored, you know, sitting waiting for a Spanish to come along. There's this big, huge, giant barracuda just slowly fitting into the current, about 20 odd kilos. James, you know, asshole. Swims down. Oh, you know, I probably should shoot this and burly it. You know, I'll get some mackerel in. You know, no, being an asshole. So I swim up to this barracuda and it's just sitting there minding its own business. Put the gun at right angles to its head. Bushka straight through the head. Anyway, didn't bone it. Takes off like a gut shot cat. Playing it out. Pulled it back in and get it about 12 foot away from it. He goes, Dunk! this one eye locks onto me. It's like, oh, shit. You know, let the line back out. Let him have a bit more. Second time. <laughs> pull him in about 12 foot. Dunk! Eye locks back onto me again. It's like, oh, that's not good. Let him go again. Play him around about. Third time, I pull him in. Same thing. Dunk! The eye locks onto me. I'm going, don't be a soft cock. Just pull this thing in. Pulled it in another two foot. He goes, why that grabbed me straight between the legs? Oh, yeah, and shook me like a dog. <laughs> but all those four big teeth right through my thigh, and his cheek is up against my sack, just smacking the hell out of me. This big 20 kilo barracuda. I've got my hand in the sides going, more, more, like that. 
You're not the mm-hmm. only person I've heard this oh. happen to. They go for your crutch too. It seems like straight for your straight for your crutch. Yeah, like an ex-wife. Like if yeah. they don't get you, if they don't get your wedding tackle, they get a femoral <laughs> artery or something nasty. Oh yeah, yeah, and they leave these massive bruises where each tooth goes through you. You get like a fifty cent coin bruise mm. around the tooth. Yeah, it threw my shorts. You know the wetsuit shorts <laughs> that I always, always wear. Your protective safety wetsuit pro- yeah, shorts. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So don't shoot those big barracudas. No, no. I've been, I've, I've shot a bit, I've shot a big one, but I say big, it's probably only about 14 kilo, 13, 14. That was big enough. Um, big enough, mate. Not again. Um, particularly they're not like a sought after eating fish. In fact, I've never eaten one. No. That was, that one served no. out as burly. So I just, yeah, yeah it's yeah. not, it doesn't interest me. The risk it's reward karma. is not there. Yeah, it's karma when you shoot one like that. You shouldn't shoot fish just like it'll be your own entertainment. You should yeah. shoot it for a valid purpose. Yeah, you know, yeah. And that's not to cut it up and beat other fish. Part of the maturity curve too, isn't it? <laughs> Which I'll get there. I'll get there one day. <laughs> me, me too. Me too. <laughs> Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed and optimised trimmer that makes shaving time your favourite time in the bathroom. I'm one of the first people to try the new Lawnmower 4.0 and I'm blown away by the performance, the craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. Your balls will thank you, mine definitely did. No awkward hair hanging out of the smuggler anymore. Moments after trialling the, the Lawnmower 4.0, my balls screamed at me, Thank you Shrek, we can breathe. And it sounds like they were doing some deep recovery breathing. Manscaped Engineering, the ultimate groin and body trimmer. Focus on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys. (laughs) This upgraded trimmer includes an on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. It also gives you the ability to turn the 4000 LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. First time I used it, I dropped it, picked it up, clipped it back together and it was good to go. It's super light in your hand with regards to like in comparison to some of the other ones I've used. And uh, jeepers, it's easy. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Noobspiro. That's one word, Noobspiro, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code Noobspiro, all in one word. Unlock your confidence. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your bulls will thank you. All right, we've got a couple of sections left, James, and yep, then uh, no I think worries. we're, we're going to end up catching up again in the future, I have a feeling. Um, I hope so. Dive back. Uh, head, yep. to, head to toe, give us your gear. All righty. So I'm wearing, as far as wetsuits goes, I'm still wearing the old wetsuits from Barry. At the moment, I, I'm, I'm getting through my old immersion wetsuit from 2013, ab diving. So I've just been wearing the top of that, just some old wetsuit shorts. Um, for fins, dive R fins. Um, big fan of Ray Powell's fins. I've been wearing them since he first brought out the blue blades in the mid mid to early two thousands. Um, I think yeah, I had um, maybe some Mark twos of that of of his a big fiberglass ones. Um, they yeah, were maroon. Well, I I still wear the fiberglass ones. So mm-hmm. I wear the black uh, fiberglass hards. I'm mm-hmm. not a carbon uh, fan. I like mm-hmm. those really hard 
um, uh, fins. You like big, power. long, hard. Yeah, a lot of power, a lot of power, and you can just when you need it. You don't swim mm. around like giving it full power. Yeah, and yeah. Just break yourself, but um, but when you're indestructible, those things. When you're in clutch spots too, like <laughs> like swimming into hectic current and shit. There's oh, nothing yeah, like yeah. having like some like umpha like where you can just oh, proper yeah. give them a workout and get some power out of them. Yeah, yeah, and look, they're indestructible too. Mm. You know. They're not like a high performance freediving fin. They're hard, so that no, they weigh a ton too. It's like wearing leg weights. <laughs> you know, they're not like these carbon things. You pick them up and go, "Ooh, you yeah. know, there's, there's no weight in them." Yeah, um, yeah rubber rubber weight belt. Um, very agricultural dive knife. Um, keeper bag. What else do What else do I have? Oh, look, guns. Hundred um, percent edge guns. Tony yep. Hugh. Big yep. shout out to Tony Hugh, my absolute legend guy that's helped me out so much and yep. the inspiration of so many funny stories. Oh, just a, just a fantastic guy. Was, but he's another you know super generous guy in the sport that's helped so many people. So. He's coming on the show at some stage. I oh, um wait. I was out at Tony's place maybe nine months ago. And yep. a mate um, needed some gun mods, and I mean Tony's—he's developed some really clever gear. You know that closed yep. muzzle of his, yep. like it's—it's it's a friggin' great bit of gear. Yeah, yeah, mate. You want to see that guy dive, man? Yeah. He's like a giant wobby gong. He just yeah. lies on the bottom with his chest up. And um, mate, I'll tell you a quick funny story about Tony. Yeah, like we went okay. out in the boat, Blue Water Classic, four meter swell at Coffs Harbour. Like horrible day. I would never go diving on that day. And Tony gets on the boat. He goes, ah, "Anyone want some slime? Want some slime? You know, like wetsuit lube." And he, you know, puts one end of the boat to the other with like detergent. You know, and it's like a south wind. Not nothing to hang on to. Yeah. There's five of us, slippery as buggery. So we punch out of this four meter seas. Tony's like this giant dugong clutching the esky up the front of the boat, like sprawled over it, just clutched it all the way out to sea. Like he's the hardest man, you know, physically tough, tough, yeah, tough guy. Yeah. Then he ties a cordial bottle float onto the end of his line and just swims off over the horizon when I'm boating. It's like, freaking hell, Tony. Like, yeah. I'm never going to find you. It's like, yo, I'm over here, James. <laughs> <laughs> no, sure, yeah, he's an absolute legend. So, yeah, edge guns, like I have I, all the same. I have a, like a one meter gun that I use for, um, uh, uh, you know, really super dirty water or dew around the headland in the, you know, tight white water mm. or flathead. Um, uh, 1.5 is the main gun that I use with a two meter shaft. Yeah, right, eh? overhang. Yeah, I'm a 1.5 man. I like to reach out and touch. Yeah, you know, right. That's eh? my motto, especially for the reds, for the snapper. Mm-hmm. You need that range and the mackerel too. It makes a huge difference on the mackerel. Mm. Still got a lot of punch at the end of its range. So love that. So they're my two go-to guns. I always have, um, if I'm in the boat, like I'll have two, or even when I do big long rock hops out chasing the dew, I'll have one on the float and, uh, and you know, and one on the hand. Yeah, right. Um, use just a six mil black poly rope for float line because mm. it's uh almost invisible in the water, but really easy to play fish out, doesn't tangle. Five-inch shark clips. I don't like things to fail. Um, yeah. Float. I use a Ronston, you know, yeah. old school. Yeah. Ronston plastic float. I got yeah. I got a 92-and-a-half-kilo marlon with my Ronston float. Jesus. <laughs> How much float line are you using, Jim? Uh, when, I, when, I, when I'm chasing Spanish, I use about 30 metres of float line yeah. so that I can play the fish out yeah. because that float, it doesn't like to be taken underwater too nah. far. Um, if I'm not chasing, if I'm chasing dew and stuff like that, it's somewhere between 15 and 20 meters. Yeah, I do nearly all my diving is under 20 meters, yep. so I don't need the length. But the Spanish, I like to have that little bit of extra length to mm. just to play the fish out. That first big run, a eh, on a big fish, oh, you yeah. want you want to give them a bit of distance. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome fun. The Spanish. Um, 
what else with gear? Uh, I think I'm using an uh, Oma mask, yep. just whatever fits my face, and mm. just a basic snorkel, no mm. purges or anything like and that. And by the looks here, you're just shaving the top half of your mow as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I do that here, mate. Just here, so it'll get a, too, yeah, yeah, get a seal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah. shit. <laughs> Love it. Uh, James, it's um, it's a pleasure to get you on the show, man. Like I said, I was genuinely not just uh, shining you on. Like um, <laughs> I have genuinely wanted to get you on the show for a long time and you have not disappointed. Let's head on out with a faster round, Spiro Q&A. Cool. Good on you. Um, what is the single best piece of advice you've ever been given for spearfishing? Um, slow down. Yeah, <sighs> definitely slow down. If you had to start all over again, what would you do differently? Oh, look, I would have got into it 15 years earlier for sure um other than that no I, I wouldn't i wouldn't change a thing yeah i got into it the right way with the right people well i mate dodgy you know all on the same page and yeah 100 percent. what current challenges do you face in your spearing and how are you approaching them um current challenges um only like i have a the odd ear problem i've been touch wood i've had it's been pretty good for the last two or three years but that's always sort of something that's in the, in the back of your mind and, um, and the sharks, like dealing with the sharks, it's, it's, it's changing my diving. It's making the rock hopping a hell of a lot um, harder, you know, uh, here in New South Wales. Mm. Queensland, you know, you've always been a problem with sharks, but, yeah, it's getting tougher. It's getting tougher with the sharks. Um, there's a few things you do differently, but this question, what's something a little different from everyone else that only you do? Um, I don't know that only I do, but I swim miles and miles and miles of, of coast and I try to go to places that other people aren't going and swim a lot of dirty water and do a lot of prospecting and I do it with landmarks not with the GPS in the boat like a lot of old school taking landmarks to spots yeah. and swimming out to spots on landmarks mm. so uh yeah I don't know if it's completely different but yeah that's, that's nah, they're good they're my, awesome my little that's way of do, doing it that's awesome last question could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence 100%. Look, it's getting into the real world, you know, to thrive and survive in nature where you're not the top order predator, um, where you really need to use your wits to survive. Um, yeah, it's it's my life. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Sakajay, you have been the best Indian <laughs> telemarketer I've ever had on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you, Shrek. And I will be sending you the full 99-piece kit immediately. I like how you use some of the branding from my books and shit. That's excellent. 99, uh, 99 pieces. I know you like the 99 pieces. 99 recipes is coming away very soon. It is. This, by the time this is out and live, it'll be up on Kickstarter, 99 Spirit Recipes. James has submitted, I think, bloody 16 recipes or something and yeah, uh, yeah. some absolute magic ones in there, man. Um, I think we ended up with like 170-something recipe submissions. Ooh. Not all of them are going to end up in the book because there there's some su substantial quality issues with a few that maybe probably won't be able to re be rectified. Um, but Jeep is like, yeah, some of yours are absolute quality, so thanks again for getting involved with that. Yeah, my pleasure. Always a pleasure, mate. Keep up the good work. You're helping so many people out in the dive community. It's an absolute honour to be on your uh, podcast. Cool. I'm going to get you back. We've got more topical episodes coming in the future, and uh, I love I love your perspective on spearing <laughs> and your energy. You know, like and you've sustained it. You've sustained it for decades. So I'm mad. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, mate. I love it. Awesome. Good on you, mate. Thanks, Reg. Hey guys, we've had a huge accelerated release 
um, pattern for all of these episodes of recent, just with the exciting advent of our Kickstarter campaign up with only a few days remaining. Check it out at noobsparrow.com forward slash 99 recipes. I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Saka Jay. He's an absolute uh, legend. I really enjoyed chatting with James. And uh, check out his YouTube channel. Catch it, grow it, cook it. It's available on YouTube. There's a whole bunch of awesome videos and adventures there that James um, has shared and it's great to see him back into the media of some form and I really want to see his YouTube ch channel blow up because he's got a heap of great stuff on there. Catch it, grow it, cook it on YouTube. Check it out. Hey, check out 99 Spare Recipes. There's only a few days left to go on this Kickstarter campaign. Get part of it and help bring this project to life. It's available at noobspero.com forward slash 99 recipes. And uh, hey, wouldn't you know it, we've got another episode in a few days. It's Jai Gibbons, at Spiro Chef on Instagram. This guy's a genius with uh, practical cooking. He's written huge sections of this book and contributed in absolutely wonderful ways. We appreciate Jai Gibbons. Um, he's got a whole bunch of recipes on USFA, uh, the USFA website, if you want to check them out in advance. All good, that's it from me, guys. See you next week with Jai Gibbons. Today's episode was an absolute banger, and so is our major sponsor, Adreno. Visit them at adreno.com.au. They have a huge range of equipment. You can find it at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear at checkout. When you shop online, you can save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can even use that code in-store at some of their huge mega stores Australia-wide. Price be guarantee on any Australian spearfishing equipment price. Again, visit them at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear. The NoobSpear podcast is incredibly proud to be partnering with Neptonics.com. It's solid gear that works, equipment you can rely on. It's the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Neptonics is also the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing gear, particularly in the US. They've got free shipping on all orders over $99 in the US. Furthermore, you can use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off on your entire shopping basket at Neptonics.com. Use the code NOOBSPIRIT, Neptonics.com.